All right, hello everybody. Welcome back to Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. So pumped for today's show and what a week to do it. We are having the anniversary of the date where a violent terrorist organization of small fringe minority, um, freedom-loving Canadian patriots uh, stormed Ottawa in such an egregious fashion so as to cause noise complaints and phantom honking that still goes on to this day. Um, and this is the anniversary of where that all went down, one of the biggest events that this country's ever seen rallying around the cause of freedom. And uh, we all know how that has gone down and the inquiry. And I brought so many guests on this show to talk about many elements of it. Uh, but uh, today I'm going to be bringing on the great Ferryman's Toll, a black belt meme creator. Uh, the guy's awesome. He's doing so well. He's killing it right now. I've put all the links in the description below. If you guys haven't followed the Ferryman, you have to go. It's hilarious and enlightening all at the same time. And I'm really excited to have this gent on. I've wanted to have him on. For, for a while now. And we're going to have a conversation about some of his own personal experience being in Ottawa during the great trucking freedom convoy, um, how he thought the inquiry went down, um, his thoughts on Diagalon, uh, his thoughts on whatever I can get into this show. We're going to talk about it all, the political situation in Canada, secession of Alberta and possibly other Western provinces, looking at possible solutions. And, and that's what I really want to do with this show is bring different people on to have different perspectives, have some really good discussions, and hopefully we can come together and figure out how to get out of this mess. So, uh, and wherever you are watching in the world, even though we're speaking in a Canadian context, I think many aspects of our conversation are going to be really, really um, beneficial for you as well, as we're all going through this as a world. Uh, looking at what's going on. We've covered this many times on the show. And so hopefully you can also pull out some gems of wisdom and also uh, get a good laugh along the way in today's show. So I'm really excited about that. Before I bring the ferryman on, I just want to quickly give you guys a very special announcement. I've been telling you it's coming. It is here. Uh, Rise Attire, my good friends uh, at Rise Attire, they have uh, finalized the new Cult of the Medics line. It's just phenomenal gear. I think they've done an amazing, amazing job. I love it so much. This is the no fear or fear not line. I believe that's what they've called it. And, uh, so we got all kinds of high quality stuff. It's made in the United States, uh, really high quality material. And we're just adding to this growing line that's around supporting this documentary series, cult of the medics. Um, and let me just show you a couple of shots we got. It's just looking so good. I'm so excited about this. And here is the site. You can go and check it out. I'll put all the links below for you. You can either go to cultofthemedics.com and the link is directly on the site. And then you can go browse and check it out. Um, and everything uh, goes obviously to support this show and also other patriots that are uh, communicating this information. It supports the series. And it also is a good conversation starter. So it's all listed here. Look at that stuff. Look at that. Oh my God. I want all of these. Uh, so they've got really cool stuff great variations, and uh, we're going to expose the cult of the medics and the tyrants and the criminals, and that's what the whole point is. So really big thank you to Rise Attire. They've been an incredible sponsor. They are truthers and patriots themselves, so hats off to you guys. You've done a phenomenal job. I can't sing your praises enough, and thank you so much for making this incredible line for this series. It's amazing. So that's that. Let me go ahead and bring in today's guest, the ferryman's toll. There he is. How you doing, good sir? Welcome to Truth Warrior, man. 
I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's, it's great to get on with you. And uh, I mean, I've been following your stuff for a while. So <clears throat> yeah, I'm glad to be able to jump on here with you and, and talk uh, Envoy and politics and uh, whatever else we get into. So yeah, those were some sweet shirts too. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Like, I, they literally yeah. just sent them to me a few minutes ago, and I'm just happy about it. So that's awesome. But you've been killing it, man. Everybody's talking about you and your channels, at least the people that are uh, talking to me. And I'm like, I've been following Fairman for, I think I started following your channels pretty early on in the convoy. And you were doing uh -huh. great videos. You were down there. And um, you've just been uh, doing a great job as a Canadian patriot, putting this information out, also having really good discussions. You do great videos on your YouTube channel. You had some great debates with the pleb about some of the solutions. I thought that was awesome. It was hilarious from both sides. Um, we've had some fun kind of trolling him back on his Twitter, but we still love him. And uh, so just so much going on. What if we started just with a little bit about you and how you got into any of this stuff and then your experience with the convoy uh, that went to Ottawa? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, <clears throat> I started making memes actually on Wall Street Silver on the subreddit. That's where I began making memes. I started doing that right right early on whenever whenever the sub was, you know, below 10,000 people, I had started making memes and that's where my handle comes from. Um there's nothing there's, people have asked before why the Fairman's Fall. It's like I was trying to, you know, get a Reddit handle that was like the boatman or the ferryman or whatever. And I couldn't, you know, they were all taken. So I just went with the ferryman's toll instead. And that stuck. So that's all. So that, that was where I started making memes. And then I, uh, shortly after that, uh, I had followed Jeremy McKenzie for a while. I, I was a fan of his podcast and, um, he had thrown out this concept of diagonal. And I thought that was fascinating because, you know, a couple of weeks before he, throughout this idea, I was like, why are all these provinces and these states aren't on board with what's going on? Like at this point, why don't they just leave and form their own? Like, you know, I was just kind of playing with that idea too. And then he comes out and says it and gives it a name. And so I, I started making diagonal on memes and, um, you know, eventually I just started making memes about anything I felt like. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's how I got into memeing and, uh, kind of grew a following through you know I, it's really jeremy's audience that i i started with right i was I was making stuff for him and then i started bringing other people into and, and you know so we we kind of uh jeremy's one of my best friends like we work pretty closely together so yeah and he's it, just so people especially outside of the country just you know he's talking about uh one of the most dangerous men in canadian history uh, he's wanted in like what, 47 countries for something. Yeah. Um, yeah. and he's, you know, obviously he's a veteran. He served this country with literally his life, um, as have so many other great veterans. And just to see from that angle alone, the way that these people have been treated by our government, which is just egregious. Um, and now you're, I can't help but interrupt this line of thought with what's happened with him in terms of Scotiabank yeah, coming in and shutting his bank account down. And I'm hearing rumors that he can't even reapply for his mortgage with a different bank right now. Do you have any details on what's going on? Yeah, with him he, on can't, he can't get, he, he's banned from every bank in the, in the country. And uh, apparently that includes credit unions. So now he's looking at, you know, trying to get a U.S. bank account you know, as a Canadian citizen so that he can, you know, be able to make truck payments, have mortgage payments, feed his kids, you know, like, you know, he's been joking about this. Like he's, he's a, like you said, he's a military veteran. He has a military pension. 
which is funny because Scotiabank didn't like the risk appetite of a, of a military pensioner with a steady income for some reason. They, they, that was a risk appetite, whatever, outside of it, I should say. And uh, anyway, so he's, he's trying to now find, a, find U.S. banking. And um, I mean, it's weird. Uh, a lot of people like to speculate about what Jeremy is like. I mean, it, it's weird whenever you know people and what they're actually like and who they are. And you see what the, the the state and the establishment is doing to them. It's like you know it, they've they've turned him into a caricature of, of who he really is. They've basically taken his podcast kind of uh, you know uh, character and turned it into and morphed it, mutated it into some kind of uh, you know dictator like figure, like e evil figure that they can you know ruthlessly pursue and you know attack. So it, it's I don't know it. Uh, I'm and in your hoping. experience, just to put it out there, he's nothing like the character character they're trying to paint him out to be. Well, no, he's, I mean, look, J Jeremy is who he is. The, the person you see on the podcast, that's him. I mean, it, it's, it's the, the loudest version of him, but he's just being himself. But he's, he's not a militia leader. He's not a, a terrorist. He's not, he's a podcaster and a comedian and, a, you know, a political pundit, if you want to go to that extent. But, uh, you know, it, they've targeted him they've targeted him and it's like <clears throat> the same thing that they've done with other people and and just the uh, whatever you want to call it the freedom movement in general is is they you get these uh you know tabloid like i mean largely a lot of this stuff comes from the canadian anti-hate network that's where it really begins hmm. um you know they they write articles they portray him as something then the media takes what they have done and they then they you know uh <clears throat> amplify it as the truth and then all of a sudden like we heard uh, i'm sure we'll get into it in the, in the inquiry you have the opp talking about and, and other branches of, of the police and, and intelligence services talking about how what the media was saying and portraying uh in the news was completely fabricated or, or was not based in reality you had the uh, the opp intelligence officer i forget his name but um who worked in operation hendon or was a project ended anyways, where they, you know, they, they did a whole breakdown of Diagalon and, and they're like, you know, they're referencing a cocaine goat and, and, and like, you know, ski masks. Like I have a white ski mask and apparently that's a symbol of, you know, that's a, something di Diagalon people wear to like, it, it's just nonsense. Right. And so all of this has just been something that's been amplified, you know, to make it what they want it, want it to be. And that's why, Whenever they shut down the convoy, they were very, uh, I don't know the right word here, but I would say horny for Diagalon. Everybody was talking about it. They, you know, eight times it was mentioned in Parliament and uh, in the House of Commons and in the Senate. Marco Mendocino gave a whole speech about it. He didn't use the name, but we later found out that's definitely, we were definitely who he was talking about. Whenever he called us a... Uh, a group of ex right-wing extremists with steel resolve that are well-organized, agile, funded, and all these things. And it's like, we're, we're none of those things, really. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, I forget where I was going with that, but anyways. You know, he's, he's trying to spread the, he, they're deflecting and they're projecting actually a lot of things I think they're involved in onto people that are literally just everyday Canadians that are starting podcasts that are doing online work that are doing memes that are trying to do everything they can possible to save their country from what's going on with this incredibly corrupt 
and incompetent government that we have that is objective to the entire world. Like if you talk to people outside of Canada and you mention Trudeau or Freeland or any of these clowns, they're all going to laugh because it's they're universally the laughing stock of the world at this point. Their approval rating is through the floor already, worse than it was before, which was already disgusting. And now, of course, we have the mainstream media, which gets subsidized funding from the government uh, and friends to put out portrayals of people that are critiquing the government. And this reminds me of all the stories my friends who came from Romania or Poland or China or anywhere else, Venezuela, said, oh, it's this is how these communist and fascist type regimes take over is they take over the media, they demonize anybody that's pointing out the obvious, and they make them the enemy of, of, of what's going on, when in reality, it's this government. Yeah, ex exactly. And I mean, you kind of <clears throat> just touched on it there is like, you know, I've only been in this space for like really two years, I've been I've been doing this. It's amazing how like, when you're living it, you learn a lot about who these people are, and who's pushing what buttons and things like that. And so now, I brought up the Canadian Anti-Hate Network, you know, which was originally funded by the Liberal government. The Liberal government gave them close to $300,000 to start this organization. Okay, Now they have their people everywhere. The chair, the chair of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network is on the online harms advisory panel. So these are the people that are shaping this, this legislation uh, for Internet censorship in Canada and defining what hate is. You know, they're the most hateful people in the world, but they're the ones defining what hate is. And, and just recently, I'm sure you heard this, there's, we have a new Islamophobia czar in this country, Almira El-Gawabi. Oh, yeah. And uh, she also was a board member of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and, and, and a, a bunch of other, you know, race-based. So, like, you know, th these are the people that are shaping the media and not just the media, government policy in this country. And they're, they're openly avowed Marxists. If if you go to yeah. if you sign up for the Canadian Anti Hate Network's newsletter, it it directs you to uh, socialistfightback.ca or Marxist is it Marxist.ca? Anyway, it's it's an openly Marxist organization that's being funded by the Canadian government, which is disgusting in its own right. But then, whenever you consider that that they're not just funding them, they're actually being having their policy shaped by them. I, I like I don't understand when. A lot of people say that it's it's blown out of proportion when people claim that this is a communist government. It's not. They're openly funding and taking you know legislation legislative advice from avowed communists. Like it's it's right in our face, and it's so yeah. it's so obvious what you're saying, uh, Fairman. Real quick, just on a technical front, I'm just getting a little bit of static on your voice for some reason. I don't know where that's coming from. Maybe uh, just real quick, which which browser did you come in with? Some of the browsers are different. I came in directly through uh, Twitter. Or? I couldn't oh. copy the link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, it, like, which browser is open? Is it because like, either Chrome or Firefox usually tends to work best? I don't know if you want to. It'd be Chrome. It'd be Chrome. Okay, it should work well. Maybe just do me a quick favor and close Chrome, and then just click the link and come back in. We'll just refresh it and sure. see if that helps out a bit. Sure. Thanks, bro. I want to make sure we can hear everything you're saying. Um, so we'll get him back in a sec, guys. This is this is incredible. I actually didn't know all the details about that. I'm glad he did the digs on it. I'm going to ask him some more on it when he gets back. But think about this. Like, they're hiding behind terms like hate or 
uh, racial equality or social justice or saving the climate or saving the polar bears or saving the rights of women or whatever and like all this stuff. And um, here, he's coming right back in. Let's bring him in. Let's bring him in. There we go. There we go. Let's give that one. I'm just getting a bit bit of audio audio feedback. feedback. Uh, Why would that be? It's probably bouncing bouncing through through your speaker, maybe. Maybe just turn your speaker down a bit. We've definitely lost the... um, the, um, Yeah, there's an echo there. there. Sorry, guys. Bear with us here. Just wondering why I'm getting why I'm feedback. feedback. Uh, go like this. Okay, test. Okay, test. No, no it's, it's coming, coming back, back through. through. Let me try this. Let me try this. Test, test, test. Yeah, for some yeah, reason for some it's bouncing, bouncing back, back through your side, and I'm getting and my I'm getting feedback, feedback coming, coming through. through. We'll figure this out, guys. Do you possibly have the stream playing on another tab? It's weird that wasn't there before. All right, guys, just give us a sec. Yeah, so I was just saying, here, let's see. Okay. okay. You wouldn't happen to have, have headphones have by, chance, by chance, would you, bro? Is that better? Here we go. Test one, two. That's better. And you can hear me okay? Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. There's just a little bit of scratching going on. Maybe it's the mic on the lapel or something. Okay, try it again. Is that better? Yeah, it's scratching. It's scratching like crazy. Oh, maybe that's better. Okay, let's try that. Go ahead. Give me a test one, two. One, two. Hey, there we go. Okay, we solved it. (laughs) The life of live streaming. It's okay. Um, So I was just saying before we jetted there um, that as you're breaking that down, these groups that they like to hide behind these words like hate or equality, or they'll even use the word freedom. Social justice is a favorite one. And they have all these causes that they're pushing out to the public, right? Through the media to say, we're the good guys fighting the bad guys. That's sort of their main message, right? So then they can just create the whole storyline about anybody that doesn't fit into their category of what they think as being somehow evil, racist, bigoted, hateful, whatever people. It's just a bunch of words. And then they create these organizations that say, we're the defenders. We're defending the world from hate or whatever it is. But then you sit back and you look at their policies and these are literally the most hateful, bigoted, racist people who aren't for equality. They're not for having a conversation. They don't like to have diversity of any, they only, they don't like diversity of ideas. That's for sure. So basically they just hide behind these terms and these terms have now been weaponized in this information war. So when an average normal person that means well, hears, Oh, those people are trying to stop all the hate in the world. They must be the good guys. And then the people that don't like them must be the bad guys. It's like an equation that people make, but it's total bullshit, right? 
I just got to plug yeah. my Mac. Go ahead. Oh yeah, this is um, <clears throat> very familiar with that. Um, had had all the labels thrown at me and my friends already. Uh, yeah, they, and they even like they they love to make them up too. They'll call us. Uh, I think our favorite one is accelerationist. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but uh, that, that's what they like to use uh, for us in, in particular. So, but yeah, uh, yeah. I know. It's yeah, it, it's the weaponization of language. And like I, I, Derek Rance and I were on a stream last night. And we were kind of talking about this and this new Islamophobias are. And I'd like to, to sorry, fair, you, sorry, fair man. You, I don't know what's going on here. You're breaking up again all of a sudden, and I got that static back, and I can't even really hear. Um, what can we do here? It, yeah, I don't know. One thing you might want to try is just doing a complete reboot of your computer and then try to yeah, my phone. jump back in. I don't know what else it could be because for some reason, every time you're talking, we're getting lots of static. All right. I'll, I'll give that a try. I'll restart my phone okay. here and uh, we'll see Thanks, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure this out. Sorry about that, guys. We'll get this rocking. Um, yeah, because his, his stream looks good on my end. And I'm blazing and this is all, everything else is going fine. So we'll figure this out and we'll bring him back. Uh, here, let's try this. Here, fair man, let's, okay, there we go. Worst case, maybe I can get him in on his phone or something. It's not just me, eh guys? There's a little bit of static going on for you as well. Such an important chat. I just want to make sure we capture it all. So we'll get him back and we'll figure that out. But yeah, they think that, by a lot of people think that they go on the words. The words get weaponized. The terms get weaponized. The media is then used to blast this one season narrative to everybody. And then they can easily create any kind of division. They can create anybody they want into an, a villain of some kind or somebody that's some sort of terrorist or whatever, which is what they try. But what was interesting about the inquiry and I want to get his thoughts on this, is that that backfired big time because everybody that was the media and the government demonizing this trucking convoy, they were using those types of terms. They were saying they were hateful, racist, misogynist. You guys have heard it all. And then it was also looked at as being these people are a threat. They've got weapons and they're coming to storm the castle and they just hate Trudeau and they're just unhinged people. And yet... Even the testimony from OPP, from people that were on the ground, uh, it completely contradicted that, as well as anybody that actually physically went. Obviously, this is what it is. So this is just nothing more than demonizing political opponents, the government cracking down on anybody that's standing up against the fact that they are breaking the laws of this country. They are um, way out of line. They're being criticized even by other governments and other like the people in the European Union and things like that. And yet they don't even flinch. They march on like nothing's happening. And th these are all the signs of, of uh, your country moving towards tyranny. It's so obvious. But it's important to point out how they do it, how they collude with the media to cast a certain message on anybody that is against what the government is doing, rather than just simply bringing it down to, hey, we disagree. Let's have a conversation, right? So this is how you know that it's complete nonsense. But I think we got Fairman back. Let's give this a try. Hey, Berman, can you hear me? Is it better there now? It's a bit better. I just don't know where the static is coming in. I, 
like it, when you're talking, it's just getting all staticky. I don't know if you can hear anything on your end. No, it's, it's, you sound clear and, uh, like I'm not getting any feedback for me. I, okay. I have another issue though here. My phone is going to die. I only have the one input for my headphones and charger. So, okay. I don't know if this is. Do you want to do, um, maybe don't worry about the headphones, but are you using a phone or a computer right now? I have my phone. That's what I stream off. So that's what I got. Okay. Okay. No, that's cool. Um, so if you just, yeah, plug it in, obviously, and don't worry about the headphones. I think it's even better without the headphones, but maybe okay. just, um, it's on, it, you're as close to your Wi-Fi as possible. It might just be a little bit, uh, yeah, Wi-Fi is there. strong signal strong. So, okay. Not sure you know what? It's sounding better right now. So let's just keep this going. So go ahead and plug it in so we don't lose you. Yeah. Don't worry about the headphones. I'm good. We will do the best we can. Um, also, I find Restream sometimes it, it's just a slightly different than Zoom. So, um, but you're good. But I was just trying to break down for him, man. We're talking about propaganda, how they're demonizing everybody and they're freezing people's bank accounts during the convoy. And then now we have this next escalation. I see it as an escalation with Jeremy with debanking. Like the, when you're debanking people, who we're talking about a podcaster, comedian, political um, commentary type of individual here that has never threatened violence. Uh, on, the whole time, all the videos I saw of Jeremy leading up and to this day, he was always trying to talk people down from that and try to say, let's promote the conversation. And he just used comedy, whether people like it or not, who cares, right? He's using comedy. He's using other ways of trying to get the conversation going. And yet they're making him into a violent criminal terrorist as they, and he's just now an example of how they're looking at any Canadian in this country that is rebelling against the holy edicts of the Trudeau regime. You know, it's insane. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, J Jeremy isn't a, exactly a soft handed approach to, to the way he, he makes political commentary like let's just be honest about that he, he talks in plain language and i think he says the things that a lot of people are afraid to say um but they, they've taken what he said as like hypotheticals or you know to prepare and things like that and made it out to be some kind of like what he desires and that's not true at all the best example of this is whenever they said that you know <laughs> this very famous one that the video has gone around enough that's a diagonal Agalon's uh, goal or mission is to incite a race war and create a white ethno state, which is nonsense. Like that, that, all of that came from one comment that Jeremy made back in, I believe it was 2020, during the George Floyd, you know, riots, the BLM riots, um, where where what he was saying was he was commenting on how the media was feeding into this racial division, like they were trying to start a race war. And, and basically, he was saying, like, is this what you guys want? You want a race war? And so they, they, they misconstrued him saying that he wanted it. But in reality, he was saying, you guys seem to be pushing for it. And I, I agree completely with him. It seems like they've done everything. I mean, it's the communist way, right? Divide everybody along every line that you can, right? And, and target their rage towards one group. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I, Everything they do is, you know, they, they love to misconstrue what he says. They love to take things he says out of context. They love to take things like that he, you know, hypothesizes about, which would be things like, look, 
uh, I think the difference between uh, someone like, like I'll use myself here, but I think Jeremy would agree with the sentiment. I don't want to see Justin Trudeau kicked out of office. I want him to face uh, a trial and, and a tribunal for crimes against humanity with facing a sentence of life in prison or death. And uh, like, that's not me inciting violence. That's me saying like, I think this guy is guilty of these things. You know, you, you can disagree with that. That's fine. But like, I, I view a lot of these people as being guilty of some of the most heinous crimes that we have ever been committed on this planet. So like, why is it wrong for me to speculate about whether or not these people should be facing execution, right? And then so they, they take that and they misconstrue it. It's like, oh, he wants to kill Justin Trudeau. It's like, well, no, I want to see him face justice, you know, whatever that might be. And it's not him losing an election and moving to the Bahamas and living out the rest of his days on his trust fund and all the money that he, you know, embezzled from this country. That's not justice. That's, that's his way out. That's ultimately how he gets out of this regardless right so like it's uh i don't know well you're 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 talking about justice i mean not that long ago i mean my both my grandfathers fought in world war ii and we grew up around the table hearing the stories from those wars and what was going on and talking about nuremberg and these kinds of things and if see you need to have some sort of a court or a justice mechanism that can actually see the evidence, hold the trial, do it the right way under these laws. Our issue right now in Canada is we don't even have Supreme courts or any of our courts, like really hearing any of the cases that are all lined up around the block that people and groups, obviously groups and other lawyers and other groups have put together to show that the effects of the policies by this Trudeau government, which we know there's higher connections and all that, but just for, to hold them down, um, that the effects of their policies ended up in death and destruction to Canadians on many different fronts and to our economy and our, and our country. And not that long ago, that would have been enough grounds for the type of justice you're talking about, whether it's prison, whether it's, you know, whatever, however people want to look at it. So by saying we want justice for this, we want to give him the fair day in court, but it has to be a fair court that's actually going to look at the evidence, not just yeah. some inquiry that's rigged sort of against the whole thing. And if we can't find that within a Canadian context, is there hope on some kind of international tribunal context? Like what happened with Nuremberg? Could something like that happen again? And I think everybody watching from every country in the world is thinking of their leaders and their leadership, which went along with this whole thing that has resulted in mass destruction to these countries. And they're all thinking the same thing. So it's not even just Trudeau anymore. It's like, this is so big. I mean, we're just using our imagination to try to think about how that would go down. But by saying you want justice, you're not saying vigilante justice. You're not saying uh, we want a bunch of people just going out and grabbing the guy. That's not what anybody's advocating for. They're advocating for the legal justice process and the punishment must fit the crime, right? If something you and I did uh, that resulted in deaths. If let's say we cooked up some new vitamins in our basement or something, and then like 50 people died by taking it, what would, what would happen to us, let alone what happens to these people, right? Exactly. I mean, it's, like, look, even, you know, if we want to use the convoy here, the EMA where he became the convoy on trial, that was not, that was not what it was supposed to be. It was supposed to, the government was supposed to demonstrate what justification it had for invoking the most powerful legislation that exists in this country. And instead it became a, you know, an opportunity for them to grandstand about how great they were, pat themselves on the back 
and demonized the convoy. That's largely what it became. And even still, like, you know, so largely what did it accomplish? Not even now, I don't know if you heard this, but so the Trudeau, you know, cabinet is going to get first first dibs on taking a look at the ruling that Justice Rouleau comes out with in the next couple of weeks. They'll get they'll get to look at it two weeks before it's released to the public. Like what? How is this? Like you know, they love uh, quoting their their openness and transparency, and then they do things like this, and and you know the media runs cover for them. They 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 uh, amplify their message, refuse to show the other side of the story. And so, you know, Canadians are, are not informed the way they should be. I, I feel like, you know, well, I mean, not to get into the media again, but the media is just as guilty as the government in this situation. And, you know, if talking about justice, they're as deserving, if not more, than the government itself. Nothing the government has been able to do in the past three years, and honestly before, but, you know, in particular the last three years, nothing, none of that would have been possible without the media. And every, everybody knows it. Yeah, no, they're they're number one. And actually, during the Nuremberg trials, the the media was on trial. People got hanged for that shit. Like, I'm not I, saying I'm just saying that's what happened in history, and that wasn't that long ago. I I think it's hilarious because I've seen. Yeah, I, I'm very familiar with that, and I'm very familiar with the you know people uh, on our side uh, like to remind certain media personalities about that, and for some reason they always take that as a threat. I wonder why. <laughs> Just that say, I'm innocent yeah. of your charge. What's your problem? Like, th this is this is how you know we've got them on the run in this sense is that look at the ratings of the media. See, I would just hold, I'm at the point now where I just start telling these people, what's it like to really suck? Like, because that's what you guys are right now. You just suck. And we're killing it. Us guys in our basement with podcasting and some webcams, we're crushing it. We just got to yeah. make some memes and we're destroying you. And that's just shows because... It's about appealing to the sentiment of the average person. And even though they're really good at that, the organic, raw, unfiltered, just average Joe is taking down the biggest media monopoly enterprise empire that's ever existed on the face of the earth. And I think that's just hilarious. So I just point at them and laugh and then walk away. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's that great... Uh... It's a meme, but uh, it's been used as a line too. It's uh, you know you're fighting a trillion dollar propaganda machine with memes, and you're winning. <laughs> like pat yourself on the back, friends. Come on, it's like I know we're not out of this, and I know we don't see the. Everybody's asking this, Ferryman. They want the justice. I want the justice. We're looking for solutions. We've had enough. These people. I can't even believe that Bonnie Henry, because I'm in BC. Bonnie Henry and Dan No Sideburns Dicks is just like. Not Dan Dix, sorry. Not Dan, we love you, press for truth. I'm thinking Adrian Dix. That's the dick I was thinking about. Adrian <laughs> Dick, no sideburns. Um, weird guy. He can only tweet about vaccines 24-7. These are the people that are still talking to, to people in BC as if the science of 2020 is still in full standing and everything's cool and there's nothing going on and don't worry about the athletes dropping on live television. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Everything's safe. You know what? We're getting more vaccines coming in and all this stuff. And you're like, Who, what, who's going to hold these people to the account when we have admissions in the European courts, European Union, uh, you know, the Dutch, that Dutch gent that was asking the Pfizer exec, did you even test for transmissibility? Nope. Um, and you know, these types of things. And then all the other evidence that we're seeing that at the very least, we should be having this discussion instead of a demonizing 
to the inquiry, instead of demonizing the truckers and the protesters, which were just average Canadians from all stripes and backgrounds coming together, instead of accusing them, let's hear what their problem is. Why were they there freezing their butts off in minus 30 weather? You were there on the ground, right? We'd love to hear some of your experiences, but just speak to that for a minute. Like they're, they're totally sidestepping reality at this point. And I don't know how they think that's even going to be successful because literally everybody I talk to, even the normie friends that I have are already onto this. So I'm wondering where their end game is here. I think it's, well, I think their end game now at this point is to slowly shift back towards some kind of normalcy before they, they dive into another attempt at, you know, whether it's going to be climate lockdowns or, or another pandemic or something. They'll do it again. They're going to do it again. But I, I think they're going to have a lot harder time, you know, with, with this one. So we'll see. But uh, I think a part of it, you know, I think the conservatives are acting as a pressure relief valve because they want all the same things. They just want it with a different face. I think that, uh, you know, that part of what Pierre is like, look, I, there was that picture that came out recently, right, with all three of them together. And it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with, you know, Pierre was, it was in Vancouver, right, for the Lunar New Year. And you've got Justin, uh, Jugmeet, and and Pierre side by side. And it rubs a lot of people the wrong way. And I understand why that is, but I also understand why he's doing it. Like, he's a politician. Like, he, he talks to this guy and has a con. Like, obviously, they're going to, you know, have to be around each other sometimes. Yeah. The reason it rubs so many people the wrong way is because Pierre is presenting himself as this kind of, you know, savior to the last, you know, to the Trudeau regime in general, but in particular the last three years, right, which has been very hard on not just Canadians, but the entire world. And, and he's supposed to be the one to bring us back, right? And he's trying to gain support that way. The problem is that I don't want, like I, I said earlier, like this guy's trying to get Trudeau out of office. He's not talking about justice. He's not, he's not bringing up all the crimes that were committed. Because the, the problem with Pierre is that he's just as guilty as they are, ultimately. What was his biggest criticism whenever we were rolling these things out and putting them into children? We're not doing it fast enough. That was his big criticism of the regime, right? So, like, I think... And in the past, just not to interrupt you, but in the past, this is something I bring up because everybody says, well, he's already denied the WEF affiliation, so we're good, man. And I'm like, listen, he has not denied that he voted yes. I've got the actual screenshot of the link where he voted yes for the sustainable development goals and a continuation of keeping Canada in the Paris Climate Accord, which anybody that's done even five minutes of research into this stuff knows that is what's behind the even the WEF. The WEF is like this compared to the United Nations and the groups behind them. And the fact that this is a machine that's moving towards total central control worldwide of all land resources and wealth. And they're using climate and pandemics and other threats in order to get there. And we know that. So if we have a politician that's voting those policies in that end up putting Canada into massive debt immediately and getting involved in these ridiculous 2030, 2050 goals that we all have to abide by, which will destroy this country, destroy our economy, destroy your freedom, 15 minutes, smart cities, the whole deal. It's all wrapped up in there. So for the guy to not, nobody's ever asked him that. And he hasn't denied that. I sit back and I go, I'm sorry, especially with the history of the conservatives. I can't trust these guys. And even if Pierre is playing some sort of a, a public face for political reasons, and maybe he even agrees with us, if that's the argument, then um, why aren't we seeing more action steps towards supporting 
the release of redacted documents and all the issues that we've been trying to get from the government before or um, speaking openly about these types of things and even denying uh, or, or saying I'm going back on my previous vote or, or doing something to clear it up. When we don't see that and he's in there saying, keep sending money to Ukraine and let's keep these vaccines rolling and let's do. And I'm sitting there going, what the hell? We're back in this bait and switch once again. Oh. Even yesterday, like he had a criticism, you know, this new Islamophobia czar, his criticism wasn't why do we have this position at all in Canada? Why are we paying this person one hundred and fifty to one hundred and ninety thousand dollars a year? Because that's what the position pays to to what to root out Islamophobia in Canada. Like this is, you know, no, no, you know, he wants to be the anti-woke prime minister. But his criticism of having an Islamophobia czar is she's the wrong person. That was it. Because she said some some bad things about uh, Jewish people and Quebecers and uh, police officers, so she's not the right person to be the, the czar of Islamophobia in Canada, right? It's the same thing. It's, right. it's the, the same as the liberals, but different. Anyway, that, I didn't bring that up though necessarily to get in on on Pierre, although we can if you want. I was just trying to say, like, I think that is their goal. It's to shift the new faces. It's why Jacinda Ardern, I think, is, is gone. It's why Boris Johnson's gone. It's why, like, you know, they're, they're swapping these people out for, for new faces for a reason. They're trying to make it seem like it's, it's you know, all the bad guys are, are, are leaving. You know, all, all, all these people that you don't like are starting to, to go away. And, you know, that fresh face is, is very disarming to, uh, you know, a, a lot of people that aren't necessarily paying attention that closely. So. Well, and we live in Canada, bro. So, I mean, anybody that's looked at hockey, for example, as an example for this, a good metaphor is they're just swapping out their front line for the next line. Like it's, it's the same team with same objective, just a new face. They're fresher. The media, like the, I think all of these people together, Arden, Macron, Trudeau, and all these, we even hear rumors of Freeland stepping down soon and Omar and these types of people, who knows? Um, but Stepping down, like you saying, this is what's been rubbing me the wrong way. People are like, Trudeau must resign. I'm like, yep, uh, that'd be great. But then they're just going to put another puppet in place. And what's going to happen to Trudeau? He's just going to go retire on millions of dollars that he made from what? Acuitous Pharmaceuticals or whatever he's got. Um, so that's not justice. That's not going to do anything. And they're just going to swap one tyrant for another. Because how many of these World Economic Forum young leaders do they have on the Pez dispenser ready to go, you know? It's worse than that too. Like when when politicians retire, at least most of them, they don't just disappear and you know re- like retire in the sense that we think of it. You know, who, go look at the politicians that were in Davos last week: John Kerry, Al Gore. You know, the Clintons have been there before, right? The o- Obamas are still heavily involved in, in the administration. In uh, oh, I don't know what happened there to my. It went super green. We're going techno right now, Fairman. We can still hear you. You're good. It's just psychedelic, but that's cool. It makes it fun. Oh, that's better. That fixed it. Yeah, I just turned off my camera, turned back. But anyways, these politicians, like, yeah, they're they're gone. No, they're not. They they move up in the world and they start influencing from an even higher level. So, like, yeah, no, I I don't want Trudeau to resign. I want him to be, you know, arrested and and face a court. You know, I, I I understand that's probably wishful thinking okay i'm not i'm not naive to the fact that that's not gonna happen right. but i feel like but that what should, should be done yeah that would be the right thing to do the motivation that most canadians have here it, you know that's what we should be pushing for um these, these people i mean 
even before the COVID stuff, he was guilty of, of a litany of crimes, I believe. And, you know, he just yep. got away with it. So I don't think. Uh, let's, uh, let's, yeah. And there's so much here. And this is why I love talking. We'll have to do this again because you have so much good info on this. And um, I love your perspective. And, but let's kind of shift back to the convoy for a minute. That was a moment that as I'm even constructing this sentence, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about. And I think anybody listening, um, it's been a joy to see the revival of the videos, those first videos um, that were going around that the media never showed that were just a thing of beauty. Um, it brought light in a very dark time. I can say that I was going through a very dark time personally. I'm sure all of us were. It was a dark winter. Um, everybody around me was getting sick. Uh, I caught something and I'm sitting on the couch and I'm just trying to recover. And you start seeing the light come out of the darkness with this trucker convoy. It was just amazing. And I think that it, it, it wasn't a failure in the end because not far after we, the government has started to backtrack a lot of those measures and a ripple effects have gone through this country to the point where I think I'm not saying that a neck, another convoy is what we should do. I don't actually think that might be, I don't know, but I think that if we did do it again, it would be like four or five times bigger because more people have woken up since the convoy, right? And even what happened to the convoy and those amazing people down there and then the inquiry and what the media did has also woken up more people than when the convoy was happening. So maybe just share a little bit about your personal experience. You were on the ground. You captured the phantom honker guy, whatever that guy down there. Like, tell us a few stories from what you experienced in Ottawa, man. Well, okay, so I I drove to I'm from Ottawa originally, so it's my home. I lived most of my life there, except for my university days. But other than that, I was in Ottawa for my entire life until about a year and a half ago when I got sick of living in Ontario and decided I was going to move to Alberta. So you know, like it, it was, uh, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the city of Ottawa anymore, but I used to love it. Um, so I, I went from Calgary, and like you said, the the goosebumps, right? Like you, you played that intro and I'm watching it and I'm, I'm getting goosebumps and I got goosebumps as you were talking about it again. I, I'd never seen anything like that in my life in this country. And, uh, you know, the, the whole way there, just people on overpasses, every, everybody came together, right? Or everybody in this freedom movement, you know, a good chunk of the country anyways, millions of Canadians were supportive of it. So like, I've, I've never seen that many Canadians that, you know, willing to partake in a, in a political movement. Um, I, I don't think there's anything that compares to it. And I, I, I mean, that, like I, I was a history student in school. Um, I, I try to think of, of anything that even remotely comes close to that in terms of its um, scale and importance to, to Canadians. And I, I struggle to think of anything other than Vimy Ridge. Like I, I, I like right. I, I if you go back and think about it, it's like what compares to that history? Nothing. Not like you, there's there's very few moments that even would you would consider like, and, and most of them are very um, superficial. You know, the 2017 150 Canada Day celebration. Like these are the things that I've heard people say, or the 2010 Olympics. And it's like this is that's nothing compared to what I was. You know, I, I grew up in like I said in Ottawa. I've witnessed you know, uh, a dozen Canada days downtown every single day during the convoy was like Canada day and, and more meaningful because it wasn't just an excuse to party and get drunk. People were there and, and you know, um, finally, uh, I, I, I like to say that it was like for two years, Canadians 
were, you know, basically just uh, pounded down and, you know, demoralized and uh, you know, not able to enjoy life and, and have fun. And then all of a sudden it was like everybody just wanted to have fun, right, while, while making a very valid political statement. So, yeah, I was, I was there every single day uh, of the convoy until uh, a few days after. Um, and you beautiful. didn't see any violence did you even see a fist fight like what what was it like down there to all the images all the people i i also spent i lived in ottawa for a long time so i had a lot of friends down there lebanese friends hispanic friends white friends sikh friends i knew a lot of people that were there just describe what was it like man well i mean it was just <laughs> i don't know chocolate cakes and high fives man that's that's what it was <laughs> like apple cider and bouncy castles and yeah uh, like Anybody who was there that, you know, and it's, it's this weird thing too. It's like the pe the people that were bothered by it, it, I find it very odd that, you know, there was many, many downtown Ottawa residents. I know some of them. I was at their place, you know, to, to warm up or, you know, have a break or whatever during the protest. And they're loving it. Is the honking bothering you? No, not at all. I love it. It's like music. They're, they're living through it too. It's fine for them. It's, I found it very strange that a sound can either be torture or music, depending on your political leanings. Mm. And that that's, is amazing, yeah. Right? Like, it, there was many audible residents that were living right with these other people that were on board with it. And, um, you know, I think audible uh, residents have gone to, or many of them are getting a bad rap because of a few bad apples, you know, that, that were complaining and doing things. But, yeah, no, I saw no violence. Um, I didn't see anybody throw a snowball. I don't know. Maybe there was a snowball fight for fun, but I didn't see one. I didn't, I didn't see anybody, uh, you know, the, there was all kinds of allegations, you know, threats, um, uh, you know, ripping people's, ripping masks off people's faces. No, I didn't see any of that. None of that's on video. Like I, I saw the video, which I wish they were to play it at the inquiry. For, uh, it went pretty viral where that guy who was just hammered from the counter protest groups. And by the way, the counter protest groups, the footage we have, they're literally flying Soviet flags. That's incredible. Number one. Yet they're all worried about the Nazi flag that was totally a stage photo op. But anyways, there was that one where this guy literally yanks a Canadian flag out of this 12 or 13 year old girl's hands. And the dad comes up and he's literally like, I would have just strangled the guy. But the dad's trying to just be like, hey, man, just like he's trying to be because he knows if he goes off, they're going to point the cameras. And the other guy was instigating the entire thing. I think he ended up getting arrested in the end. That's the only like violent incident that I saw. I don't know if there were others, but it wasn't our side. Well, no, like, I mean, I don't know if I call it violence, but in terms of like, I mean, it meets the technical definition of assault. I saw counter protesters throw eggs and, you know, other objects at, at people. Uh, some of the truckers had their tires slashed. They had their their you know vehicles vandalized, things like that. I didn't see any of that in reverse. Not a single window broken of a business. You know, there was none of that. Everything that, that you know, yeah, it was a concerted effort to be on your best behavior down there. In terms of anything, I don't, I don't know. I think the worst things they were brought up in the inquiry. People were having beers. Like that's, I mean, that's technically not allowed, right? It's a public street. You're not allowed to have open alcohol in public. You know, they got tickets. Or there's traffic violations. These are the things they had. You know, people had burn barrels. Like, you know, and they're acting like this is somehow equivalent to terrorism. It's it, it nonsense. Uh, I, I saw none of that. 
the the only people that I saw you know, even instigating violence were from the other side. So, and then again, too, like I'm not going to deny that there was some animosity whenever, you know, so maybe it's true. Uh, you know, I might've witnessed somebody say like, why are you wearing a mask or something like that? And then they took that as if it was some kind of like, you know, a racial slur or something that was being nonsense. I've said that to people in the store, just walking by, just be like, I want to see your beautiful face. And they're like, you're the devil. Uh, I, I made a meme about that at one point too. You know, you know, just a, the Chad Wojak is like, uh, why are you wearing that mask? Show your pretty face. And then the, the girl Wojak being like, did you just threaten to rape me? Like, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's the equivalent of what it is. I, I'm sure that is. Like, so whenever I hear rape threats, I'm like, what did he do? Did he say like, you're, you're pretty and you should take your mask off? Was that, was that the rape threat you're talking? Like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there was. But like, I highly doubt it. I, I highly doubt it. Well, so, think of the amount of people. I think this was brought up. The amount of people from all over the country, from every single province, right? There were farmers there. There were cowboys there. There were average, there was mo soccer moms there. There were kids there. It was Quebecers there. First Nations were there. Everybody was there. And, you know, you sit back and you go, to be that well-behaved during a concert with that many people would be an epic achievement. Right. Even if it was just a freaking concert. OK, let alone an actual protest where people. How do you restrain yourself when people died due to these policies? People around you committed suicide. People were having ill effects from these shots early on that changed their lives, destroyed their lives, that um, they lost their businesses. They're broke. Generational businesses. The level of rage and anger that these people must have felt knowing that it was due to the policies that were forced against our laws by the government. How do you keep that restrained in those circumstances? And all they've got is somebody called me a name or somebody told me to remove my mask or some guys were peeing over here where they shouldn't have been, or these guys were drinking too many beers or it's like, really, that's the sum total of the way you're going to interpret this thing. Meanwhile, I've never seen a celebration of Unity, love, freedom, people coming from different backgrounds, all the things that the so-called left says they want. I couldn't have seen a better example. When you have Albertans, just for people from other countries, I don't know if you know this, but in Canada, when you have Albertans standing arm in arm with Quebecers, you've got something special because that has never happened to my knowledge, okay? And even to this day, I've got friends from Quebec. I've got friends from Alberta. I was born in Alberta. Um, there's still th that divide that's been here for decades, if not however long between those groups is already fading simply. And it's lasting simply because of that convoy. Um, so all that stuff about it being white supremacy or whatever the hell they want to say is the most retarded thing I've ever heard. Yeah, you brought up, I mean... You made a lot of good points there just now. Uh, you brought up the swastika earlier. Like that was the most obviously staged. I, I don't know if you saw, I did some work on this as I was there. I went and found where the photograph, the photographer was standing whenever they took the photo. Um, like there's all kinds of questions that were never asked about that situation because we don't have journalism in this country. We have an, uh, a megaphone for the state that is masquerading as journalism. That's what we have. So like, you know, right off the bat, like what, who took the photo, CBC? Who took the photo? Why didn't they take video? Why? Why weren't they? Why didn't they pursue and try to find out who these people were? They saw it happen. Like, why was there only?
like one or two photos well like why, why didn't they you know uh you know why were they standing there if you're not familiar like i i can post this or send this to you if you want to sure, see please, it yeah but it, the where the person was standing is if you're not familiar with ottawa there's locks that run underneath wellington there's a bridge that goes over these locks that go from the rideau canal to the ottawa river these people were the, the photographer was standing down in the locks looking up at uh the chateau laurier where where these you know uh, conveniently where the police were staying you know but that's where they chose to you know have their little spots party um there's, so there's you didn't see everybody i've asked i've asked them this every single time when they went i even had some friends of mine that were against the convoy that went to ottawa and are now completely like changed for they changed because they realized how bad the media was lying did you see a single swastika flag flying around while you were down there? Like, I nobody's come back and said they've seen one. I don't even know if anybody's even seen one. It was all Canadian flags or Quebecer flags or fuck Trudeau flags, which I hear there's yeah, still some I, I, of them. I did. I saw someone painted a swastika on an upside down Canadian flag in, a, in an ironic fashion. That's the one swastika flag I saw. Funny enough, the media even used that one, right? Like, look, they're flying swastikas. No, they're making an ironic commentary on what this country has become. That's right. what they're And, you know, you you conveniently leave that out of your narrative. But that was the one swastika that I might have seen. I might have seen some other ones on signs and stuff, too, right? That were like, you know, a swastika over Klaus Schwab's head or something like that. But, you know, that's what they were, uh, you know, portraying as being, uh, uh, you know, us using swastikas as symbols. No, we were using it as, a, as an insult and a, a criticism of you. The leadership right. has taken on this Mangala-like approach towards medicine in this country. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what I heard too, man. And it's just, it's, if it wasn't so sad, I mean, I just try to laugh at it because you have to, because laughter kills tragedy, right? But you, you laugh at these people and you think, wow, how could average people believe any of this? Well, it's because they're hypnotized by this media and yet that's breaking. Do you feel, cause you're kind of on the front lines, um, with this, do you feel that the spell is really starting to break in Canada as, as now, as opposed to when the convoy was happening? I think, you know, there's this 20, 60, 20 rule. I don't know if you've heard of that before. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, break it down. It's a good one. Yeah, so like, you know, 20% of people are, are completely indoctrinated by the state. And I think that's probably pretty accurate in this country. One out of five people are completely on board with everything, you know, this uh, this globalist government is trying to do. 60% uh, literally don't care for the most part, unless it affects them personally. They're not really paying attention until it impacts their lives. They're, they're not really motivated to, you know, they're just trying to live. Like they're just, they're, they're busy, whatever, right? And then there's the other 20% that are actively trying to oppose what the state is doing. I, I think that was a lot less for a long time, but I, I would say now it probably is getting, you know, 15, 20% of the population is pretty vocally and, and consistently opposing what the government is doing or trying to do. Um, I think that 60%, yeah, the spell is starting to break on them. Um, I, I don't think, you know, I think Yuri Bezmanov was so right about about the 20%. It, there's literally nothing you can do. Yeah, for, for God's sake, some of them are, do you remember this, that actress that got the shot, got Bell's palsy, yeah. Yeah. and then said that she would do it again? Like, they're those types of people. Like, they're, you're never going to wake them up. Your face is melting off, and you're like, I would do it again for science. And you're like, yeah. dude. 
Yeah, like so. So there's no point in trying to like. This is why I say like you know, I'm open to having a conversation with uh, people, but like some of these people are, are not worth talking to at all. It, it's it's different too. Like they won't talk to you out of like you know that because the, there's this communist kind of uh, or I don't know what you'd call it, but it, you know far left kind of uh, idea where it's like you don't platform Nazis and everything you know right of Lenin is a Nazi. So it's yeah. Yeah, we can't we can't talk to these people. But there's no point talking to them anyways because they're they're rabid ideologues. They're, you're never going to convince them that they're wrong. You. They, you know, they could literally have the boot on their neck and they'll start licking it. So, like, they're, why why are you bothering trying to wake those people up? It's the 60% that you want to go for. And I think the longer this goes on, the more of them are, are becoming wise to it. And, you know, they're starting to ask questions. And I think that's rooted, you know, because of the totalitarianism of this agenda, if you want to use whatever, Agenda 2030, if you want to look into that framework or the SDGs, a huge problem that they have with it is the, the further they push it, the more it's going to make life bad for people. And the more they make life bad for people, the more people are going to question what they're doing. So like right. we've seen this, you know, like I'll use the example of, of farmers, right? You know, farmers are, are by nature, a lot of them are very tuned into politics, but they're not active necessarily in it because they're too busy. Like I, I, I'm, you know, friends with a lot of farmers, like they might be paying attention to what's going on, but it's hard for them to go to rallies. It's hard for them to get, active in, in community groups and things like that because they work you know like sometimes 16 hours a day like they don't have time they do something they do something that the the new far lefties you're talking about don't do which is they get up at sunrise and they work for a living and produce value for the country exactly but so so like i i bring them up because you have these new fertilizers like you know this most popular in or most you know uh famous or infamously in the netherlands here these new fertilizer restrictions and straight up, you know, uh, what would you call it, uh, forced seizure of their farmland and their, their you know, generational farms that, that's forced them to respond. So, like, the further they push this agenda, the more they're going to, you know, basically force people to respond to what they're doing. You know, and, and so whether it's the, the guns, right, you're seeing there's a lot of push against, you know, these new gun laws. Or whether it's you know digital ID or vaccine mandates or these the farms or the EVs right the electric vehicles the the further they go down this road the more people start to get angry and irritated and look into what they're doing and why they're doing it and they start they start to wake up I don't know if they'll do it fast enough but I, I think yeah you're right the spell is starting to wear off there people are starting to realize it's, that things don't make sense well and it's it's thanks to like people like you and so many others fighting hard. There's people all over the world that have taken up this gauntlet and are trying to wake up their, their country, the people in their country. And I've made progress with people in my inner circle. I uh, doing this show, I get emails from people all over the country, all over the world. I go on different shows and I'm trying to get the, the gauge. And so I, I don't have the final count, but I, I can tell you from everything I've seen and experienced, there has been a massive shift towards the exposure of all of this since the convoy that I had, even when the convoy was happening, I was saying, we're already waking up more within this last two years than I've seen us in the last 20 years that I've been paying attention to politics. So that was already a step up. Now I think it's just increasing. And lo and behold, the government is increasing their, the bills that they're bringing in these 15 minute cities and the whole thing. And um, you, you just sit back and you go, at what point 
are we going to be able to take this country back or is that even the solution? And you and I had uh, a really fun discussion on my telegram, which I'm very fond of and I love. And I'm telling you one, I want to tell you where I'm at now since that chat. And just so people know, I had done some shows with a gent named Zan up north who I love. He's a great guy. And we, we did a really interesting deep dive into Canada's history and the possibility that a lot of what we thought was happening was smoke and mirrors. There was some chicanery going on right at the founding um, that they essentially created Canada into another vassal state of the crown, et cetera. So I was into that research because I'm interested in the history of like, where did this all really start to go wrong? Was it just that we had some politicians that were just corrupt and, and ignoring the law? Or, or do they actually know that those laws don't really have the power that we think they do? And that's why they think they're getting away with it. And your point was, well, who cares about that? And I, I actually agree with you and because I get it. Like, okay, even if it's true, we can't really start a whole political movement on that. But I was trying to say, because I agree with your idea on secession, I'd love you to talk about that. But what I was trying to say was, if we're going to make any repair in this country, whether it's provinces leaving the federal, whatever, or, or other solutions, we should look back to the past of where this went wrong. And if we don't want to go all the way back in history, um, we could start with just what happened during the pandemic, where they used the section one of the charter as justification for the government to basically throw the rest of the charter out, right? And all the international laws. So either way, we're still uh, in a Mexican standoff situation here. And so then you sit back and you go, okay, well, if we're moving forward, and I'd love your take on what we should be doing here, um, we should also take into consideration the mistakes from the past. That way we don't make them again. And maybe some kind of constitutional reform would be necessary, whether we're doing a provincial secession or whether we're looking at bringing this whole country back to some sanity. So just your thoughts on that. Um, and by the way, I just, I love that discussion we had and I, you made me think a lot, man. So I want to hear your take. Well, no, that was, yeah, that was a fun discussion. It, like, you know, and I, I came in hot and then, you know, kind of tried to explain why I was so heated about it. And like, it's, it's good. No, That's no, what we need. It, it's good though. Cause it's like, look, I, I used an example in that discussion, right? It's like, yeah, it, it's, like I said, I'm, I was a political science major in university and I was a history minor. Like, I'm very interested in these things. It's not lack of interest that makes me kind of poo-poo or, or, you know, brush aside these kinds of talks. Like, it's, it's not. I'm, I'm very interested in it. It's more like um, I, I don't see it as being the best way to a, a achieve change um, or, or the best st starting point, the foundation. It's something that, yeah, it's worth talking about, but it's not going to capture people the way, you know, other points can. And I, I used an example when I was talking about this. There is no justification for income tax in this country. It was brought in as a war measure in, during the First World War. It was supposed to be temporary. The war ended, right? As far as I'm concerned, that law has been invalid since November 11th, 1918. And yet we still have it. And, you know, if you if you talk to people about that law, that should not exist, right? That is what is the justification for it? It's something that has just remained as a wartime measure, right, for over 100 years now. If you talk to even normies, they, they know that story. They know where the income tax legislation started. And, and so, like, they know that there's no justification for it. And if you can't get people to care about the fact that this, this uh, very old law is, you know, should be invalid, there's, no, there's never been a justification given for it other than war. So if the justification was war, are we still in war, like in a state of war? 
it should be very easy to convince people that the income tax law in this country is not valid. And for some reason, we so like if you can't get people to care about the money that the government takes from them, why why are you trying to you know resort to talking about you know constitutional law from the the 1930s or or from Confederation as being invalid now? Like it, it's it's that. So like I don't see it as being it, like it's not that it's it's not worth talking about or that it's wrong. Like I'm I'm not I, I don't disagree. There are it's some more about the that, practicality of it of it being effective is what you're trying to say. Yes, exactly, and and so. Yeah. You know, if, again, if you can't convince people after the last three years that something is seriously wrong and we need reform in, our, in not just in our you know, constitution, but in, I would argue, the mechanics of our government itself. Like we need we need new things in this country. We, we need to. And this is not something that's just, you know, I, I don't I think this predates the pandemic, really. For, you know, for decades, you could argue that there's things that should be changed about our political system. And, you know, we can't because of the way the, the mechanics of the system work. So, um, you know, things like it's something that I've tried to get people to talk about because I don't think they're partisan issues. I think, that, you know, politicians love to talk about unifying Canadians. You'll hear, hear Pierre say that a lot, right? Justin Trudeau has divided Canadians. It's time we unify them. Well, what you really mean is you want to unify your base and you want to steal some of Trudeau's followers so that you can get elected. That's what you mean by unifying. Like, what I would like to hear you talk about if you want to unify Canadians is, is, you know, fixing our political system. So, you know, an elected Senate would be nice. An elected Senate with equal representation between the provinces would be go a long way to fixing Western alienation and maritime alienation too, or, or Northern alienation, you know, just regionalism in general. Like that, that's the kind of thing that I would like to hear a politician talk about. They want to unify this country. And just real quick for people that maybe don't understand what you're saying there, our Senate in Canada, these people are lifetime appointees, right? So they're not elected by Canadian people. They're sort of elected by an inner circle. Do you, do you have more on explaining how that works? Yeah, well, so most of the senators are appointed by the prime minister. Um, I think, I know Alberta gets to choose its own, or at least they normally have. Um, there is a little bit of debate about that because I think Trudeau was planning on appointing Albertan senators, and Alberta was not impressed with that, obviously. So, you know, but and, you know, there, there's certain you know unwritten rules about it that have applied. But really, what it amounts to is there's 105 senators in this country that get paid $155,000 a year. They're appointed for life. So some of them, you know, they start in their late 30s, early 40s, and they serve until they you know, uh, retire at 70 or 75, I think. So, like, why? Why are we paying these? And, and then, again, on top of that, it's like they don't even do what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be, you know, the, the second look, the, the, uh, the sober second thought when it comes to legislation. Now, there, there's only a couple examples I can think of in recent memory where the Senate has not just rubber stamped what the House of Commons has pushed through. Um, one of them, a, a big one, honestly, and it was an example of the Senate functioning how I would expect it to, is uh, the uh, Bill C-10, before uh, you know, the internet bill in uh, the spring session of 2021, before we had the, the, the election there. That got voted down at the Senate level, thank God. That was, you know, one of the, the good things they've done in the, in the you know, last few decades. Um, the other example I could think of is it, when they were about to vote on the Emergency Measures Act invocation and whether or not they would pass it, uh, that was pulled because the government 
ceased uh, the, the uh, use of the act. So there was no longer a need to vote on it. I suspect the only reason they did cease it is because they, they were pretty sure that it was going to fail. It looked like that. So, you know, we need an elected Senate in this country. I, I don't even care what form it takes, even if it's not equal representation. I think it's ludicrous that we have 105 people that are getting paid very well to sit there and, and not do very much. Um, you know, why aren't we electing these people? It doesn't and it's any- another small group of people that could be controlled, that could be bribed, that could be brought in, or who are ideologues of this entire okay. thing, right? I mean, like, that's the issue. It's disgusting. Like, a lot of these people are, you know, you could go down the list. There's been a litany of scandals with senators in this country. You know, Patrick Brazo is a very famous one. He was appointed in his late 30s. He's a cocaine actor, always at strip clubs, like, you know, party guy. Like, why? why how did he get that position? Nepotism. He got in there because of nepotism. It wasn't a meritocracy. It's nepotism. If you're in the right, you know, spheres of influence and circles, like you can get appointed to one of these positions. So, yeah. So you were talking there about um, the equal representation, the elected senators, and then, and the income tax. I think that's a really good place to start, even though you make a really good point. If we can't even get Canadians to be um, up in arms about their money that's being pillaged from them by the government, then how can we get to the later stages? So it might have to be something where uh, groups of people that are aware of some of these other issues of from the past in Canada that brought us to this place, they need to be uh, doing that work to continue doing it on that intellectual level and breaking it down and making the resources available. But we need solutions that are going to be immediate, fast acting and effective. And to reach a brainwashed population, even though we're coming out of the sleep, people are still asleep to so many aspects of what Canada is, how it was founded, how it works. Most of them haven't even read the Charter of Rights or understand the history of it. Um, so to, we, how do we get the goalposts to move, or not the goalposts, but to get the, uh, the whole machine to move in the right direction? You've been advocating for secession and a lot of people as well. We've got um, Danielle Smith in Alberta. Um, some people have split opinions on her. I'd love to know what you think, but what do you think, what's the beat in Alberta right now in regards to secession? Cause I've heard that there's overwhelming support for it and then maybe break down why you think it could be effective. Okay. So I, I don't know if I would say there's overwhelming support for secession in Alberta. It's growing. Don't get me wrong. Um, mm-hmm. the polls that I've seen, and again, like I, I always say this when I talk about Obviously, they're inaccurate. Obviously, they're not, you know, a scientific you know, law, but right. they're useful for gauging, you know, what's going on. So they're the best we have. Um, for the polls I've seen, you'll get like results of between like 25 to 35, 40 percent of people are favorable towards some form of uh, greater autonomy for Alberta. So on, on the lower end, if the question is phrased as, uh, do you believe Alberta should separate from Canada and form, you know, a sovereign nation? Uh, you'll get the lower end, like, you know, 20 to 25% of people will respond positively to that, which is still quite a big number, honestly. If one in five Albertans or one in four Albertans are in favor of independence, that's nothing to scoff at. Um, you know, it, it, it's a mistake that people often make in this country. I, I remember, you know, to tie this back to the convoy, well, there was, I don't believe these polls, but when these polls are coming out and saying that, you know, 65 to 70% of Canadians did not support the convoy. It's like, yeah, maybe, but you know, you do know that it takes like 30 to 35% of the vote in this country to elect a government, right? Mm-hmm. So like when you say it's 30, 
You say it's 70% of the country's not in favor of it. I say there's 30% that is, and that's, you know, over 10 million people. So it's yeah, not that's massive. To yeah. laugh at and, and brush aside as being nonsense. Like the, the, these small numbers can move big weight whenever they're, um, you know, organized and uh, rabid, if you want to put it that way. So anyways, on the higher end, though, you'll get like – if, the, if a question is phrased like, you know, should Alberta be more independent from Ottawa, like, you know, a kind of softer approach, more like what Daniel Smith is doing, you'll get, you know, 40, even higher, 45% of Albertans saying yes. So, like, it, it's there. The sentiment exists. And um, I would say that Alberta secession or just Western secession in general is a very black-billed, you know, kind of separatism. It's not that they really want to leave Canada. I don't think uh, some do for sure, but um, it's really like, you know, this is, we're going on decades of the same issues existing between, you know, the West and Ottawa you know, or central Canada, if you want to phrase it that way, or the, the wrench and the leap, but it doesn't really matter how you phrase it, but whatever. It's the like, they don't know what else to do. It's like, what else can we do? We've tried literally everything else. Exactly. And that's why I say it's kind of a black building. And, and even, you know, people are starting to get wise to, to, to the way that the system works, which is, you know, so there was a lot of, uh, there was a growth in Western separatism, you know, during the, uh, the Crutche, uh, Paul Martin era, right. You know, with the liberals where they held government for, was it 14 years or 15 years close to that anyways. And, um, there was a push then because the West felt alienated. This is where Preston Manning comes in with the Reform Party, right? It was, it was a very Western-oriented party, things like this. So what happens is a government comes into power that's very favorable to Quebec and Ontario and doesn't care what you know Western Canada thinks, and Western secessionism starts to rise. A conservative government gets in power that is more favorable towards the West, and that you know pressure drops off. Um, the problem is that immediately after, like, you know, Harper... For, for whatever it's worth, you know, he was pretty popular in Western Canada and, and there are a lot of things I, I didn't like about him, but there are a lot of things that he did that were, you know, beneficial to Alberta anyways. He was a Western sure. leader, yeah. so he got, you know, quite a bit of respect and people liked him. But it didn't matter because as, as soon as Trudeau came in power, within a year and a half like that, everything that Harper had done that benefited the West was taken away. And so... Yeah. You're starting to see this this mentality among Western uh, separatists, where it's like the answer is not a conservative government here. Okay, they're they're kind of starting to get back into thinking of Preston Manning and uh, you know just secession in general, where it's like the the things that uh, you know we gain from a conservative government can be taken away like that the next time there's a liberal government or whatever, right? Even a conservative, for God's sakes, like conservative governments get elected on the backs of Western votes and then do everything they can to make sure that they win the Toronto and, and Montreal vote in the next election. So they don't lose power. Right. So they, they, they get elected on the back of the West and then they govern to the East. So people are getting wise to, to the way this game works and they're getting sick of it. So you're starting to see, like, like I said, it's a very black field kind of separatism. They view it as the only way. I, I would agree with that. The only way Alberta is ever going to get, a, or the West in general, is going to get a fair stake in federal politics is by maintaining a separatist stance, similar to how Quebec has. Yeah, and that's, I mean, I'm, I'm living in BC, 
where we are ruled by the NDP, okay? Um, and we have a lot of liberals up here, but in the rural parts, so it's kind of like that in the major cities, but when you get out to the rural area, these are all old school, patriotic, uh, Canadian people that, that agree with what we're talking about in many respects. And everybody's just trying to figure out what's the best way out. So you'd think if there is more independence achieved in Alberta or Saskatchewan or Manitoba, that British Columbia, at least parts of it would want to be involved with that. But we do have a problem, just like the rest of the country, where most likely the majority of people in our province would not be as favorable as somewhere like Alberta, right? Because Alberta is sort of like the exception in the entire country, I think, in regards to this, which is sad. But it makes everything, having this discussion is also helpful because in the end, what are we talking about? We're talking about provinces that were supposed to be able to have their own ability to uh, govern the local people in that province and not be so interfered with by the federal government. The federal government is just supposed to be like the glue holding it together. They're not supposed to be the empire, right? That runs the whole show um, at the cost of what provinces want. But we have a few issues here. We have that problem of just how big the federal government in Ottawa has become and how powerful they are now. And then we have even the little mini dictators in all these different provinces that as we saw during the pandemic, were all just doing exactly what they were told. And then we have to extend our problem in Canada out to these globalist influences that are well beyond any of these people. So it's quite a Rubik's cube. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah. It's like, look, it's not, it's not a simple fix here. And, you know, yeah. I, I can't do like, I, I think my response to, I supported the PBC in the last election. I, I still believe, you know, until really until after the convoy, I believe or sorry, up until the convoy, um, I believe there was a, a, a solution at the federal level. I don't think the solution comes from the federal level. It's not going to come from electing the conservatives or even the PPC at this point. It's just yeah, not. I agree. Yeah, it, It's going to come from local politics and provincial politics. And the, the, so you brought up Daniel Smith. I don't, I don't know how I feel about Danielle Smith anymore. There's a lot of things that she does that I really like. And then she has a tendency to walk things back and... Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical, but supportive of the direction that she's going in. I think that she's different than Kenny. She's. I don't think she's uh, a staunch federalist. I think she believes in Alberta first, which I, you know, I, I yeah. agree with. Um, that's the mentality. I think that's the mentality that all premiers should have. Um, but first, you know, stop, stop asking the federal government to fix your problems. Stop depending on on federal transfer payments to to get things done. Like, you know, assert, like you brought it up, you know, the, the federal government has got its hands in all kinds of things that it has no business being in, um, from education to healthcare to transit to like all of these things. It, it has no business being involved in these things and over, you know, the, the scope creep that they've you know engaged in over the last few decades, they've become highly involved in things that they're not supposed to be involved with at all. And, and influencing those things through these federal transfer payments, which, again, I don't understand why they have that power at all, um, largely because of income tax, really. They take everybody's money and then they decide where it goes. So, you know, I think part of the reason we saw all these premiers get in line during the pandemic, you know, because we saw Kenny was very resistant at first. He seemed like he was going in the right direction. Scott Moe was resistant to things at first. 
And then, you know, they dangled these uh, huge transfer payments for COVID relief in front of them, and they, they grabbed it and did what they were told to do. So yeah. it's hard to watch I, that happen. I don't think Danielle Smith is in the same line of thought, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm skeptical at this point. But either way, I, I think the, the, the huge thing that we need to get over in this country is to stop putting faith in politicians to fix these problems. Like everybody's arguing about which party that we should be voting for, which politician is good, and which one's controlled opposition. It doesn't matter if you start getting engaged in it yourself. So, you know, it, what are the solutions to these questions? It starts with you, right? Like start at the individual level, become as independent as you can, become as self-sustainable as you can, um, get active in your local communities, like get to know who, who's, you know, your where you can get food from, where you can get certain services from, build those community networks. And I mean, be careful with that because when we try to do that with the whole diagonal thing, they, they made us out to be a terrorist. But <laughs> just fair warning on that. Be very yeah. careful about how you phrase it because, you know, we started having barbecues. They made it out like we were a, a militia organizing to, I don't know. You're <laughs> trying to resurrect the cocaine addicted goat god. Remember, that was the whole like that but anyway i think that's how yeah. it starts you start local start within your community start start within yourself and then you know start trying to push politics at a local level in, in your favor and again this is one of the reasons why one of the reasons i support secession is is not even necessarily because i i mean i, I believe alberta could function as an independent state and you know under the right circumstances it probably should um i don't think it's necessary though I think a lot can be achieved just by pushing in that direction because that will force people to start, you know, acting independently, you know, from the government. So I don't, that, that's kind of the reason why it's a very grassroots movement, right? You have a lot of different little organizations that are pushing towards more autonomy in Alberta and the politicians are falling in line because of that. This is not them leading the way. This is the, the population is pushing and the, the politicians are doing what they need to do to stay you know, on their on their good side. This is why Kenny's gone and Smith is in charge, and why there's a big tone shift between the two. Kenny was a federalist. Albertans were sick of that. His own party was sick of that. So he's gone, and Smith Smith takes the reins. And uh, I, I, as much as she's getting support, but if she steps out of line, you better believe she's going to get face the same treatment that Kenny did. Hmm. Yeah, Again. and that's I, you know yeah. I think you're right even if we don't get to that goal, sometimes going towards a certain direction helps to change other things around it, right? This is the microcosm, macrocosm, where the freedom concept and all the solutions start on the individual level, as you're saying, which I 100% agree with. And then it starts to branch out. So you've got like your local town, then your community, then your province, then your nation, then the world, like it goes outwards. So by trying to achieve more autonomy, and to live the principles of freedom in your personal life by taking control of what you can control, then the next stage is to, okay, my community, we're going to change who's in our mayor's office, who's running our local media, whatever, our school districts, our school boards. We're going to get more um, awake, average Canadian parents in there instead of these you know, Marxist uh, types that are just pushing the agenda. Um, and then you keep going out. So by saying, if we... I think in the end, everybody just wants to divorce the federal government. Like that's really the, what, what we're talking about is we know they're corrupt. It's like you got to cut off the cancer or it's going to destroy the whole body.
Yeah, it was a very interesting article that came out of True North uh, a few weeks back, and I, th I thought it was hilarious because, oddly enough, Albertans and Saskatchewan's are a report being the most uh, proud to be Canadian. It was something like, uh, I think, 67 or 68% of Saskatchewan's, when asked if they're proud to be Canadian, said yes. And I think that Alberta was in the low 60s when asked that question. And uh, I, I, so those were the two highest numbers. And ironically, they were also the most likely to report that they were dissatisfied with federal politics in this country. Mm. So that they felt that, I think the question was, do you believe that federalism has more advantages or disadvantages? And, uh, you know, it, the vast majority of them said disadvantages. So isn't that funny that Albertans and Saskatchewans are, are proud to be Canadian, but they're fed up with federal politics and the way it operates and, and, and federalism in general. So That's my sentiment. That's where yeah. I'm at. I'll fly the Canadian flag because it's symbolic to me of what my grandfather's fought in the war for, what my my mother, God rest her soul, she grew up, she was Albertan. You know, her family came over from Holland a long time ago and just love this country. And, um, you know, and then my experience growing up in it, even though there's stupid things in the politics and there's definitely its problems, you love the, the vision of it. It's like in gladiator when he's like, there was a dream that was Rome. You could only whisper it, you know, like it, it, that's where we're at right now is there's a dream of what it could be, uh, when it's run by sane people, but we're, we're all looking at this, like, how do we get rid of these people and try to fix even one of these problems that we're facing? It's a, it's a challenge. It is. I think, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head there too. Like, very, uh, I forget what day it was in the convo. I'm sure this, this meme is because I'm, I'm reposting about like a couple things every day of, of what I posted while, you know, I was at the convoy and it's fun going back and looking at some of the memes and videos that I, you know, had taken or posted. And, uh, I think one is going to come up soon. And, you know, the first few days of the convoy, I said, you know, this is like, it, it was so, I think, I think you could only really describe it's indescribable, but like the, the feeling, if you were there, you know what I'm talking about. It's like nothing you've ever felt before. And so I said, you know, there's that famous line from uh, Arthur Curry about Vinnie Ridge, right? And it's like in that, in those few moments, I witnessed the birth of a nation. And it really felt like during the convoy, like in those few moments, I witnessed the rebirth of a nation. Those few days, those few days, it was like something was born again. And like, I, like I felt that. Like it was the first time in years that I've been proud to have a Canadian flag and, and be flying Same. Yeah, I would even go, I, I got a lot of friends in other countries and I would go on their streams and be like, yes, I'm I'm Canadian. I know we're sort of made fun of because of truth and all this. But now, I, ever since that convoy, I speak with more pride. And I've always had that pride, but we were just getting embarrassed in so many ways because of our representation here. Not the people. The people of Canada are awesome. I love the people here, right? It's just our politics is messed up because we've been infiltrated by these people and we need to fix it. But you can't fix it unless there's an idea. A country is an idea, right? Freedom, these are all ideas that we have. And um, to try to make it tangible, we need to see that spirit behind in Canadians' eyes that we saw, uh, that they're like, I want to love and respect my country again. I want to make <laughs> I want to make Canada great again, basically, and maybe improve it even further. You need to have the feeling, the spirit of it before the tangible thing can even happen. So that's what the convoy represents for me. It was a marker in the sand to say, oh, I'm not alone in these concerns. I'm not alone in my feeling of what I want this country to become, you know? 
Yeah. See, I, I definitely had that attitude during the convoy. And I like, you know, it, it lingered for a bit after. And, you know, as much as I, I felt what you're saying, like, ultimately, I think I came away from that whole experience in the few months after with a much more black filled view of what was going on in Canada. You know, well, like that's understandable too. I feel you, man. I know. I, like, I, I believe me, I'm so glad I took part in that. I, I think that was the best of Canadians. The problem is, uh, like I said before, uh, you know, 65 or 70 percent of Canadians did not like what they were seeing. Um, you can argue that they're brainwashed, or like I, I, I honestly, I don't agree with that poll. I think that's probably skewed. But even if it's 50 percent. If 50% looked at what they saw with disgust the way they did, to me, that says there's something seriously wrong with this country. Like, even the way they were talking about it, right? They're like, I'm a shit. <laughs> you, you brought up the Canadian flag. It's like, I, you know, they're talking about how we've besmirched it, defiled it, and made it like, you know, some kind of like rebel symbol. And I'm like, that's awesome. And they think of that with disgust, like, like we've somehow defiled it and, and you know, uh, made it something dirty and like you know and that, that's that was cited in a few articles that you know they were talking that there was canadian flags that were flying at various protests in other parts of the world right very famously the the dutch farmers protest right yeah. I, I have my my dutch flag there i'm dutch heritage right oh, nice that's i'm half dutch as well i keep it in my profile uh for support for those dutch farmers also you know because they were pushing back in a similar fashion that's I have. I still have family members that have generational farms in the Netherlands, right? So it's really wow. But when I saw them flying the Canadian flag, I, to me that was awesome. It's like wow, is the Canadian flag a, a rebel symbol now? It's like yeah, it was becoming it. And the fact that that makes so many people so angry is, I mean, it's fun that it makes them angry. Like I, I love that. You know, if you throw a, a you know a car flag on and just drive around, you know, some liberal somewhere is seething, just seething. Just coping. Oh, I know. And I, that was a crazy phenomena for me to experience. So I didn't get down to Ottawa, but I was at the forefront of it here in BC on the island. And I came, I went to legislation down in Victoria, like every weekend for I don't know how long and did some speeches, did, met some people flying the flags. And the feeling there was like a little mini version of the feeling that I could see being captured in Ottawa. And this was happening all over the country. That's what people forget. This protest didn't just happen in Ottawa. It was nationwide. And that feeling was there the whole time. And yet I remember we'd be driving in and it was so epic, dude. You're driving into the, led, the street where the legislation's on. It's side by side, just Canadian flags and people cheering and smiles and it just, it was so crazy. You're driving through, you feel like you're, you're arriving at like the Olympic game ceremony or something. And then you get out and down there's the counter protesters just flipping you off, yelling at you, screaming at you. And I would literally just have a smile on my face and I would try to walk towards these people and just be like, I just want to give you a hug. I, I I'm not, I don't have any hate in my heart for you. I want to hear your side. Tell me why you're mad. Like I was trying to be very like diplomatic and they would just kick at me and throw shit at me and yell at me. And I realized I'm like, we're not having a rational discussion in this country right now. And that's a sad thing. And then the media is tainting this further to keep this going. So that's another problem is that if that poll is even close, the information, a lot of those people got to form that opinion was given to them by spurious sources that were trying to 
you know, make something out of something that wasn't there. So there's that factor, but I remember feeling that and I never stopped. And even to this day, if I throw a flag on my truck once in a while, I'll just put the flags on the back and drive around, mostly get honks, but you get those people that just flip you off and they're usually flying a Ukraine flag or something else. And you're like, but I still love you, man. Like I'm trying to be diplomatic, but I'm at a point where I can see where you're at too, where it's like, you can't save those people but they're still living in our country. So how do we save our country? You know, it's a catch 22. Yeah. I mean, part, part of the reason why I say I left a a little black pill from that whole situation is because I saw what the state was willing to do to, to, like, I was like, I was there the whole time. This wasn't a weekend for me. I was there every single day. And I saw like, you know, witnesses, And you brought up the media too. And it's like, there's a whole other level of understanding how evil and, corrupt and just gross than the media is whenever you've witnessed something with your own eyes not through a video you were there you saw it happen and then you hear you see the media the way it's portrayed and how they lie about and you just understand that like this isn't an accident this isn't like this isn't somebody who's misguided these these people were there the journalists were there they saw it too they know that they're lying and and still they're going to lie about it. It's not an accident. It's not misguided. It's not, you know, something that, you know, you can forgive them for whenever you witnessed it with your own eyes. And then you see what they're, they're willing to do to demonize these people that have done nothing wrong to them or on behalf of the state, which is clearly giving them their spin orders on how they're supposed to portray these stories. So like, I, I, that was part of it. And then the other part of it was the police. I, like you said, you said you're walking up to counter protesters and I saw a bunch of that too in Ottawa. You get somebody walking around, flipping people off or telling them to fuck off or, or go home terrorists or whatever they're saying to them. Right. And then you'll get a response. The most common response I heard was we love you. Yeah. That, that was the most common response I heard to these types of, uh, you know, instigations or, or whatever you want to call it. But you know, that's what probably really did it for me. I watched police march down, beat, pepper, pepper spray, tear gas, you know, rubber bullets, all, all these things on people, you know, old women, <laughs> you know, veterans, uh, retired police officers, just Canadians, just, just Canadians. I watched them march them down and do those things while the crowd chanted, we love you. And like, I, like, you know, it's hard to, what do you, what do you want? To, to me, the takeaway is like, these people are gone, man. Some of them were crying. Like there's, some of these videos went around, but you could see it in their faces. They're dead inside. Like, and I was doing this when I got arrested too, in Ottawa on the final day. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm standing in the line and these people are, they're just, they're either ashamed of themselves or they're dead inside, just dead eyes. Like, you know, a thousand mile stare, just not paying attention to what they're doing, just doing it, right? No conscience. Or or you can see the look of like, you know, they, they don't want to make eye contact with anyone. They're, you know, the posture, everything about them. And they did it anyways. They knew what they were doing was wrong and they did it anyways. And like, that's, it, it takes it to a whole other level. And that's why, like I say, it was a black bill. And why I would say probably I'm a Western secessionist now is because unlike most parts of the country, Western Canada is not on board with this stuff as a majority, at least anyways. 
and they're, they've actively been trying to fight this the entire time and, and been somewhat successful in doing it. I think the way forward for all of Canada is for Alberta and Saskatchewan to take the lead here a little bit and start, you know, sticking their elbows up and, and you know, rubbing people the wrong way. That's how we're going to get change in this country is, is from leadership from the Western provinces, not from Ontario, not from Quebec. Yeah, I agree. And as you were talking about what went down there, I, my heart was broken. I, I did a eight hour live stream that day trying to f feature as many streams uh, as possible. Uh, and it, just watching it happen in front of my eyes, it was insane to see and may eternal shame fall upon the heads of those involved. Like it, there's it, karma is a law. It's coming around. You can't stop it. Justice is coming. I don't care which way we got to slice it. Uh, that's horrible. It shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. And I'm, I know because before this happened, I was one of the guys trying to back the blue in Canada when there was the whole push after the George Floyd thing, where they were allowed to have protests and destroy entire cities without any repercussions during the pandemic, which was interesting. Um, but somehow we were a threat. Uh, the, I was trying to back the blue and say, I support the police. I had police organizations on and thank God for organizations like police on guard for the veterans for freedom, uh, Mounties for freedom. Canada actually has a huge amount of resistance within those groups and thank God for them. But sadly, so many others are either brainwashed or they're ideologues or they're dead inside, as you said, and they're following order like machines and working against the best interests of the people. And, um, you know, so I, I, I feel that like, wow, I was there defending you guys against the same people that you're now defending that want to defund you, make you guys look like the bad guys. Like how many cops do I have to talk to that are going to tell me they do things in good interest by the law. They're not out there beating up people because of their race or anything like that. They're just doing their job and the media slanders them in the same way that the media slandered us, the protesters. And yet you're going to still end up siding with the, this, with the forces of Sauron, you know, like that just blew my mind. But I must also balance that out by saying, I do speak to a lot of amazing people in the police and the military and in even government officials or media people that know what's going on. I'm just urging everybody to now is the time to come out. Now's the time to have a voice. Now's the time to get involved in doing what you can, because like, this cannot stand. We cannot just let this be erased from our memories, you know? I think, I don't know. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot, there there are, or at least there were, a lot of good people in the, in the, in the policing in this country. I'm right with you. I During these, the, the defund the police and the BLM riots, I was very much, you know, supportive of the police, even though I'm not necessarily, like, I've never been a huge fan of, of police in general because, you know, I, I think, well, I mean, for obvious reasons, I don't need to get into them. But I mean, the way they were being demonized and portrayed was uh, to another level during during that time. So I was pretty supportive of them. I lost all support for the police whenever I saw what they did, not only in Ottawa but also at Coops um, mm. or, or Ambassador Bridge. Like, you know, I, I have a meme that's gone around quite a few times now, and it's Justin Trudeau standing on a plank and two pillars holding him up. One of those pillars is a police officer. The other pillar is a, a media a cameraman. Those are the two pillars that support this system. Without one of them, if one of them steps out from underneath and stops towing the line, it's over. It, it, the whole thing will come crumbling down. If, and I can illustrate, I think, this point very clearly when it comes to the police. Justin Trudeau can't walk down the street unless an army of police officers are willing to stand between him 
and the uh, you know citizenry of this country. So, and those police officers are armed. I must point that out. They have weapons. Yeah. So you know, like I, I point that out. That's not me trying to demonize police. I'm saying like if you guys decide that you're not on board with this anymore, if you make personal choices, you know, it's welcome aboard. You know, I I I, I don't agree with. And, and here's the other thing too. A lot of people were giving, uh, you know, I think a little bit too much uh, credit to the police officers, you know, that were trying, like, you know, well, I know a guy, he doesn't agree with any of this stuff either. He, he doesn't, tr he tries not to enforce the COVID stuff. Like, he didn't go to Ottawa. Yeah, but you know what? He, he ran shifts back home while all the Ottawa, because they had volunteers from every friggin' police force in this country go to Ottawa to be able to do what they did. And the only reason they could do that is because the guys that didn't volunteer, the guys and gals that didn't volunteer, were willing to run radar and answer calls back home. You you may not have done it, but you were perfectly willing to take that guy's shift, weren't you? While he went to Ottawa to beat up protesters. So yeah, you may not have been the one who volunteered for it, but you were perfectly okay, you know, standing beside that guy two weeks later when he came back. And I have an issue with that. And I will always have an issue with that. You want to do the right thing now and come over to the right side, quit or whatever it is, start actively working to, uh, you know, undermine these kinds of things that are going on in your police force. Great. I welcome you. But as long as like for me personally, as long as you wear that uniform until this gets cleaned up, you're no better than them. You're no better than the one who trampled that old lady with a horse. You're no better than the one who fired a tear gas canister at Alexa Lawa's leg. You're no better than the, the you know, the green stormtroopers that fucking threw me on the ground, shoved their knee in my back, and hogtied me. You're no better than them. You wear the same uniform. You're on the same team. Come over to the right side, or you're just as bad as they are. That's that's how I look at it. I, I have no empathy for anybody in policing right now. You you've had more than enough time to come over to the right side. You chose not to. The RCMP at Coots, you guys could have been heroes. You could have taken that convoy, that blockade, and said, you know what? We're sick of this shit, too. We're going to lead you guys to Edmonton. Let's go to Edmonton. Let's go to the legislature. We'll run escort. You guys could have done that. You would have been heroes. Instead, you're the criminals and the villains of this whole situation. And I suspect you probably you know, uh, were engaging in some very criminal behavior to do what you did. There's more evidence coming out probably about that soon. I hope you weren't one of those ones that was doing something shady to try and shut down a protest because you'll be on international news and you'll be demonized the rest of your life as the criminal that you are. So come over to the right side now, guys. You've had more than enough time. And that's not a shot at police on guard. It's not a shot at Mounties for Freedom. It's not a shot at those guys. I know what they're trying to do, right? I'm yeah. talking about the ones that are still in there, silent, and know what they're doing is wrong. And one other thing to that too. Sure. The military is different. You know, we, yeah, we got V for F, and they're doing great work. Um, you know what the difference is between the military and the Mounties? We saw this in the EMA inquiry. The government was afraid that if they used the military to help break up these protests, the military would join it. I've talked to multiple. I've talked to Captain James Formosa, who was uh, an artillery captain out of Shiloh, Manitoba. He said that they were afraid that if they sent them to Ottawa, they would slap Canadian flags on their vehicles and go join the, the, the blockade and the convoy. That's oh, the that difference between the military. That's why the military still gets respect. 
because they would not have done what they were told. And there's probably it's likely that there could have been I don't know what you would call this, but a, a, a fragmentation of the military. All it takes is a few uh, lieutenant colonels or majors to break ranks and and lead their troops, and they follow the chain of command. All it takes is a couple. You know why so many of them got purged in in 2020 and 2021? Why Danny Forte and John Vance and uh, the head of uh, intelligence, the head of special forces, why all these guys got uh, you know very uh, convenient sexual assault allegations, which uh, as far as I know, none of them turned out to be true, at least not in the case of Danny Forte. That was a complete, you know, kangaroo court, trumped up charges to get him out of there because he was not going to play ball, or at least it seemed like it. They couldn't count on him anyways, so they had to purge him. That's the difference between the military and you guys. So understand that. There's a reason the military still gets respect and you guys get crapped on. Wow. Wow. Just epic, bro. Like, and I was literally just going to ask you about the military and the differences between them. Um, a lot of people are curious about it. Uh, we saw the absolute disgrace of what happened to the veterans that were there in Ottawa. I'm struggling to just remember the, the gentleman's name. He took the stand in the inquiry. There were a few of them did. Um, his name too. Yeah. But just a hero, like literally the guy is an actual hero with medals all over. Like, and he's standing there injured from taking shots in wars that his government sent to. And he's standing there with a Canadian flag fighting for his freedom. And he gets absolutely pummeled by cops and arrested. And just I like that's egregious. If anybody's in the military now or veterans, like you've got to be seething with rage at this. And and the, and the question is, are more people from within the military going, what is the military going to do? Do Are they going to stand by and watch this country melt into totalitarianism? Or are we going to see something from the military down the road? I'm not talking about physical violence. We're not saying that. I'm just talking about like action or, or what do you think is going to happen with that? I'm probably not the best person to answer this, but I think we've already kind of seen it. Um, look, all, all the good ones are already uh, I think it's hilarious if you could, if you could look at B4F's you know uh, structure and who's in positions of uh, influence with them. There's some of the most decorated you know soldiers that we have in this country. You know, James Top is a great example oh, of this, right? Hero, like legend. It, it goes on and on, but um, like if I could tie it to the convoy too, like look, all the all the good ones are already there. Do you remember what they remember what they did whenever the veterans took the fencing down around the memorial? Yeah. Mark, Marco Mendocino got up in front of the House of Commons and referred to that as the protesters attacking the war memorial because a group of veterans, and it was veterans, not, not protest. I mean, they were protesting veterans, but um, th these veterans took the fencing down, cleaned up the war memorial, and put a vigil over it 24-7 for the remainder of the convoy until the police showed up and, and basically you know, put them in handcuffs and threw them in a squad car. That's what. That's how we treated veterans, and that's the difference between them. So, uh, you know, it, but to jump back to your other point, no, I think we've already seen the good ones are already gone or have been purged, and there's a reason why, unlike the RCMP, our military is in such dire straits right now is because a lot of the good ones are gone. They're, they, they, they didn't take the juice. They said no. They got either 5F'd or they, they VR'd, voluntary release, right? They just they chose to quit instead of go through that nightmare, um, and that's why now all of a sudden we're hiring permanent.
permanent residents to try and replace them, not even citizens anymore. They had 2,500 applications for permanent residents to replace. Guy, the military's falling apart. Then the military's falling apart because a lot because they're they're good Canadians. They're patriotic Canadians that that didn't go along with this stuff. And they had to be purged. That's what happened. They got purged. So, I mean, incredible. They're, well, hopefully, they got, they're, hopefully they're involved in some like some way with these movements. I guess that's what Veterans for Freedom really is all about, right? Like maybe tell us a little bit more, like give us the site. What's happening? Is there anything coming up with the veterans? Well, they're engaged in a lot of, I don't know, things we've already talked about. They're, they're continuing things like, um, uh, you know, rallies and, um, you know, sharing information. They're coordinating a lot of things between different groups and, and they're, they're very good at networking, right? This is the other thing. <laughs> Before I dive into, you know, veterans for freedom, isn't it? I think it's hilarious how stupid our government really is. Like they, they took... The stories of the guys who left the military because of these policies, right? They took the best soldiers and pushed them out. The guys that were not willing to, to do things that were unethical, the guys that were not willing to bend, right? It's the most courageous, the most brave, the most, you know, principled and, and the most valued, right? They, they took them all and said, get out. And what did they think was going to happen? Did they think these guys who are ardent patriots that have spent their lives doing what they believe is service to Canada, did they think they were just going to what? Go sit on the couch and drink? That They are fools to have ever thought that that was going to be the result. I don't know how, like, again, it's another failure of intelligence of which there's many in this country. But to think that you were just going to push all of these guys out of the military and not have them become an issue for you was a terrible, you know, uh, military intelligence blunder so what have they all done they've all left and joined v4f and are now actively working against the system they were just employed to serve so like i well they were dealing with the intelligence of of people that thought and actually ran with the narrative that diagonal which was a meme that was thought up <laughs> by a comedian veteran to uh tell a joke uh, that that was actually a legitimate intelligence threat to this country. So when they're using the word intelligence and talking about that, I don't think there is any intelligence left in these organizations in Canada. Well, I'm pretty sure, uh, oddly enough, I do think there is a logic to what they've done, um, and not just to the military, to policing too. If you're, if you're somebody with, uh, I would say, dictatorial ambitions like our liberal government is, or just our government in general, they're, they're authoritarians, um, the biggest threat to you is legitimately a, a, a military coup or to have a military that's not loyal to you. Yeah, um, sure. Brazil comes to mind. Yeah, so for them, it's, while it, you might ask the question of like, why is if, if Justin Trudeau is going to do all of these very aggressive authoritarian kind of, you know, measures against his population, why is he weakening his military? Well, because the military is a threat. If it's not loyal to you, if it doesn't belong to you, if it's not ideologically aligned with you, then it's not yours. So it's better to have a weak military, a feckless military, an impotent military, and it is to have one that's strong and not ideologically aligned to you. And I think they've, they've thought this through. I think the reason why they've, they've done so much to purge you know, what they classify as being uh, far-right extremism or white supremacy or, or, or all of these you know, buzzwords that they use whenever they talk about the military 
um, and also ingrained this ideology into it, right? Every month there's more and more of this, you know, whether it's the uniforms or the, like the, you know, you can have tattoos on your face now, you can have purple hair, you can have a beard, you can have ponytails, you can wear makeup, like all of these things, like these are, it's them pushing their ideology into uh, the military. Even things like, like, I don't know if you're familiar with this, they don't even want Catholic chaplains anymore. Oh, really? I didn't know. Yeah. So there's this push to get Catholicism out of the mill, which is crazy because, you know, it's a constitutional religion in this country. The only one that has constitutional standing in the country for some reason. And again, too, like they're, they're trying to make uh, the chaplain secular, which is like, wow, like, tell me more about how you're not a communist. Whatever you're trying exactly. to make, make your religious institutions within the military atheistic in nature. Like that's what they that's what they're pushing for, right? So it's but know, on one sense that whether and regardless of anybody's feelings on religion, that's another discussion. It's a it's a hallmark of communist takeover. Is do you eliminate the religious institutions or you infiltrate them? They have many targets that they would look for because um, they know that that represents a group of people that are all ideologically aligned on one thing, which could become a threat to the government if they are against the government. It's basically the same thing you're saying about what they're doing to the military. So part of this is to weed out everything that is the foundation of the West, of our countries, of everything. And religion's part of that. And so they'll say, well, we're supporting diversity of religion on one day, but on another day, we don't really want that uh, old school kind of religious ideology because it, regardless of their thoughts on it individually, they are worried about a collective of people that would resist them. Like look what they did to the pastors, Pastor uh, Arthur and so many others uh, closing down the church and they needed 200 goons from the RCMP to go close down a church. Like people were going to drive in church services and they still got arrested. Like this is an attack on all aspects of Western civilization, and it's what's needed for them to achieve the world and the agenda they want. Yeah, I think you're you're right on it there. It's like, like I don't consider myself. I mean, I I am. I was baptized Catholic, right? Like I I grew up in the church, but I don't necessarily consider myself a, a Christian in you know the the very strict sense, other than it's part of my history and my heritage. Like that. Uh, right. you know, what 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 do they they have a term for that? But anyways. Um, I think it's it, it goes a step further too. It's like not only do they, are they attacking religion for the reasons that you stated, they're attacking it because it's part of our heritage and part of our history. Um, yeah. there's very there's this very modern secularist myth I would call it that exists that Canada was never a Christian country. That's a lie. I mean, it's a, it's a lie, like a bold faced one. Um, and and like I can illustrate this in a variety of ways. If you want to use the military, the military like the regiments have prayers. There's regimental prayers. Like these, these are things that go back to before the First World War. Like why do these things, why do we have chaplains in our military? That, that seems odd, doesn't it? Why did we used to have laws in this country? Like we used to have a law in this country called the Lord's Day Act, which was, you know, prevented, you know, the, the vast majority of businesses from being able to open on Sundays. And that existed up until the 90s. And in Nova Scotia's case, until 2005, there was still, uh, you know, uh, Sabbath, you know, day laws that existed that only certain businesses could open. This idea that Canada was never a Christian country is a false one. And it's one that's being driven by, I would say, Marxist, you know, <laughs> ideologues that are trying to, it's not about, it's not about whether you're Christian. 
it's they're not attacking it because it's Christianity. They're attacking it because it's your heritage. That's right. 100%. They're trying to destroy everything that came before so that they, you know, in an attempt to deconstruct it so they can reconstruct their own ideology on top of it. So it doesn't matter whether you're Christian or not. If you can't acknowledge that Canada has a very strong Christian heritage, then you're, you're, you're falling victim to this game. I would say. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it, this is what I, how I see it as well, is that um, they have to tear down. This is all they can do. They only know how to destroy things. They don't know how to create things. So they're just destroying and imploding everything that built the entire country. And you wonder why you're seeing these churches getting burnt down and statues being torn down and defaced and destroyed and uh, the government does nothing. But yet when you have an actual peaceful protest of people singing and hugging and, and sharing you know, hot chocolate and shit and having hot pancake breakfast around fires and talking about freedom, why that is a threat. It's like everything you're saying is it's so obvious, but we still need to say it because that's what they're doing. Again, again it's... I, I know your audience is probably well aware of this too, but like, you know, it's, it's important to remember. This is the one thing I, I was saying this to people in, in, you know, early on in 2020, well, at least early on in, in the pandemic, which is remember what they're saying now, because it's going to change. They're lying. And so like a liar has to change their story. They have this, this Jenga tower of lies, right? Where it's get, they, they keep stacking lies on top of lies. And eventually that whole thing is going to come crumbling down. But only if you realize that it's, it's, you know, what they're lying about, right? You have to have more than a short-term memory when it comes to this thing. So it's, it's very important to remember these examples. And a, and a great one of what you just mentioned with the statues is like, you know, the, the Terry Fox statue in Ottawa. Exactly. I, I, I did face the Terry Fox Right? I'm there. I saw, I saw what happened. And by the way, as somebody who, like I said, Dozens, a dozen Canada days I've been to downtown in my lifetime. You, do people know that happens every year, right? Like they'll throw beads and lays or hats or whatever on all of the statues that are downtown, right? As like an affectionate, you know, kind of decoration. Like it's not done out of malice. It wasn't done out of malice whenever people put a, a Hockey Canada hat, a Canadian flag, and what do they do? A Mandate Freedom sign. Terry mandate freedom like it's not like it said death to everybody that's not like it didn't it's just like mandate freedom terry fox canadian flag he's a canadian hero he would have probably been at the freaking protest i remember this because you know my my parents live in ottawa and so i, I see my mother after this happens and she goes what's going on down there i heard they defaced the terry fox that you know it's like did you see it and she's like no i just heard about it on cbc i was like, like they didn't show the picture and she's like no and i'm like well, here's the picture I showed her. She's like, that's what they had? I'm like, yeah, that's what they do. They lie and they don't show you the real story. They just, you know, they use uh, these buzzwords and make it seem like it's something so much more uh, devastating than it is. And, and then expect, uh, you know, people to just believe it because they don't investigate further. And so I thought it was interesting, though. Here he, uh, Again, I'm going to bring this, these guys up again. The Canadian Anti-Hate Network, their chair, Bernie Farber, gets on CBC and talks about this. this, this he called it a desecration of the Terry Fox statue. These are the people, these same people have written articles applauding the, the actual desecration and, and vandalism and removal of statues in other parts of the country. 
They've applauded when John A. McDonald's statues are torn down. They've applauded when, you know, uh, Ryerson statues were taken down. And however you feel about them, what like, it doesn't matter. The point is, like, the, these people are hypocrites of the highest order. And if, if like, you need to understand who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. These people are Marxists. So it's okay to tear down certain statues, but whenever you do something affectionate, right, that's part of your heritage. Terry Fox is part of our heritage, right? He's, he's a hero to many Canadians. And so when you do something affectionate to it, they call it a desecration and use it to, like, you know, besmirch your name and, and you know, vilify you in the media. And so you need to know who these people are so you can point that finger back at them. And it was. And, you know, if I can bring this guy up again, he also... He also uh, spread a hate hoax during the auto protest. He claimed that there were anti-Semitic flyers being spread around, you know, at the protest, that somebody had sent him a photo of one of these flyers that was at, at the convoy. And it turns out that it was taken two weeks before in Miami. And a, a journalist, Jonathan Kay, was able to prove this, right? And so, you know, they deflect and lie about it. These are, these are the type of people that are vilifying you in the media. They're, they're goblin creatures. Like they're, they're they're disgusting in the way that they behave. None of nothing they do is done in good faith. Everything they do is designed to destroy you and everything that you you stand for. And they act like they're the good guys while they do it. So know who these people are and understand why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, in short, it's because they're hundred percent, hundred percent. I I I did a little speech at in front of Czech News in Victoria uh, at one of the events. I just had a few minutes with the mic. There was a bunch of people and I ended up doing the speech facing the building because I knew they were all inside and I just did my best to call them out and point out specific examples of where they actually lied to people and used bad information while demonizing people that have now been vindicated to have been correct. And um, I also let them know, and I'm letting the media know right now, you guys are dinosaurs. You're going extinct. This is the new media. People are sick and tired of the fluffed up, airbrushed, scripted, complete propaganda machine sponsored by multinational corporations and the government colluding together, which is the definition of fascism, um, if you want to talk about who the real Nazis are. Um, and that is a dinosaur that's dying. And it's, it's, look at the ratings. How many people, if you go on a single, you're on Twitter like me, find me a CTV news tweet or a CBC news tweet that isn't overtaken within minutes and totally ratioed to death. And I've watched that meter from when this started in 2020 till now. And it's, it's like, they can't even say anything even about like, Oh, there was like a puppy fashion show. People are like, fuck you liars. Like they, they can't get away from it because people are onto it. So you guys are done. We're the new media. Yeah. This is, this ties into another uh, aspect of, diagonal too we we have had our own little war that we've waged against the media especially over the last few months it, it really heated up in the summer but you know I, in terms of the media i came to this realization you know, i talked about those two pillars before the media and the police i don't believe the media is is ever going to step away um i, I came to this conclusion moments before i was arrested in ottawa actually there was a CBC reporter, uh, you know, cameraman there, and I was watching them, and I just it just hit me, and I said to them right there, I was like, "You guys are never going to stop lying, are you?" And it's like, and I, and I like I realized that I was like, "You can't stop lying. The moment you stop lying, the moment you start telling the truth about anything, you're done, and you know it. So you will lie until your death, and I'm, metaphorically, but 
You know, yeah. they, they will continue to just lie. There's no other out for them. Like, does that make sense? They cannot tell mm -hmm. the truth anymore. If they yeah. tell the truth, they're indicting themselves. So it's like, you know, they're, they're pleading the fifth at this point by just continuously lying. They won't incriminate themselves by telling the truth. So that they're not. And I would go so far. Yeah, I would go so far as to say the leadership within the media, maybe not every journalist, a lot of them are just probably there reading the teleprompter like Ron Burgundy, and they just read what they're told. And they don't think past the next five minutes of their lives. Um, uh, but there's the leadership at the top that's steering it, who they know what they're doing. They're not lying just to get, they're clearly not lying to get ratings, that's for sure. So you're like, well, there's that incentive out the window. They must be getting money from elsewhere. We know that. They're in the employ of the very people we're talking about. Um, but you do get to a point where you wonder how long can they withstand the backlash and the exposures happening by the Canadian people right now? Because it, it, they, can't go, they can't go five minutes without having somebody tearing them to shreds online or in email. I'm sure they get emails all the time. They got memes out there made by guys like you that are just destroying them. Like, how long can they survive that? I don't know. Well, they, they can, and that's why they're falling apart. That's just the truth, that they are falling yeah. apart, and, and they know it. And this is why, you know, to tie this back, you know, I, I hate talking about her, but I, I know way too much about her. I, you know, I shouldn't. But, like, Rachel Gilmore, uh, Erica Eiffel, Saba Etiez, the reason, the, yeah. you know what their response is to, to them being called out and finally, you know, facing, you know, the, the, the proper reaction for what they've done to people. It's not just them, that they, they're just, you know, they, they've made themselves the, the face of this, uh, you know, hate being levied against journalists, what they call hate. I would call it legitimate criticism and maybe uh, aggressive criticism because, you know, people are fed up with their lies, but... More than deserved, yeah. Yeah, I, I would call it deserved for sure. Um, no, no, their answer is to not, uh, you know, take a step back and, you know, engage in some self-reflection and think about why people are so angry with them, what they might have done wrong, like whether or not, you know, people deserve an apology for the things that they've said and done over the past three years. No, no, no. Their response to it is, well, now we need laws to protect us. And that's what they're going for. So you had a panel, like I mentioned those three journalists, you know, at, Carl at Carleton University School of Journalism just back in, when was that? I think it was December, but maybe late November. You had this panel of journalists, and uh, Marco Mendocino is on the panel with them, and so is the president of CBC. And there was another, I think a Global News uh, executive was on this panel as well. So they're, not, they're not trying to uh, fix the problem. They're trying to get uh, basically government protection for, for, exactly. for the criticism that's being levied against them. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, this has happened to me multiple times now, is like I've you know, whatever, made a meme or criticized Rachel Gilmore, and she immediately jumps to the misogyny or racist card or, or whatever. I got a very, there's a very uh, popular one recently, right? And I, uh, I put her, I turned her into like a soy jack or like a wojack, like a crying wojack, right? And Matthew Horwood from Western Standard liked the meme because he thought it was funny. And Rachel Gilmore very publicly tweets out like, why is the, the parliamentary bureau chief for the Western standard liking this offensive meme? Offen uh, what you call it? Offensive and conspiratorial. Um, 
and and you know Harwood absolute chat just goes because I thought it was funny. That's and then respond, like, which part of it did you think was funny? The misinformation or the misogyny? Like there was nothing misogynistic about the meme at all. It's just like, you know, that's her trump card. It's like these people hate because I'm a woman. They hate you because you are uh, like destroying people's lives and acting like you're the victim while you do it. You're a gigantic cry bully. The entire media is a cry bully at this point. And, and now they want daddy government to come protect them because they're finally getting chewed out for all the things they should be chewed out for. So, you know, but that exposes them further. This is what you were yeah. mentioning this a bit. Like this is them falling on their sword because they can't, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. Their defense to their, what they're doing is literally to change the goalpost and try to say, yeah. just call you names. That's all they have. They, that's all Trudeau had just had to call them names. And those names are like propaganda like grenades in people's heads, racist. I don't like racist misogynists. How dare they? And they just keep loading the deck and you go, they're none of these people. In fact, the people levying those accusations are themselves those things. That's what we're trying to communicate to you guys. Yeah, it's, that's, that's exactly right. And you know, it, it's, it's something too. Like I, I don't understand how they don't get it. The, the more they, act like they're the victims in the situation the more abuse they get funny enough because it people are sick of their shit they're, they're tired of listening to these people complain about woe is me everybody's so mean to me when it's like you know you you know you were telling people to not see their unvaccinated relatives right you know you were amplifying the, the messages of the government that have led to people you know one dying or two being seriously injured and then you refuse to acknowledge it and even now you're getting to the point where you can't ignore what's happening. I don't you I think you posted this yesterday. New Brunswick is finally admitting that there's been over a thousand adverse reactions, three hundred of which are serious. And it's like, well, I guess the convoy was justified then, wasn't it? I guess all the C B C I was shocked. I'm like the C B C is saying this, they can't deny it anymore. It's be yeah, it's because it's what's the term? A limited hangout. They have yeah. to acknowledge it. The the it's one of these things, right, where it's like the fact that the media can't acknowledge that, okay, this the, the died suddenly thing gets overblown, right? Not all of these deaths are from the vaccine. I'm sure some of them are. But, like, you know, people have heart attacks. People have strokes. You know, it's people die. Like, it's not crazy to think that, like, you know, not all of these are because of the vaccine. But some of them are. And that's the problem. Until you start acknowledging that some of these are absolutely related to the vaccine, which is the only major you know, thing that's changed in the last two years, right? That would account for this drastic increase in excess deaths. The, 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 in 2021, the greatest cause of excess death in Alberta was unknown. It's unbelievable that they would even promote. I remember when they reported that, I'm like, what? That's science? You don't even have identify what it is? It's, it's hilarious, too, because, you know, the uh, the talking, you know, the NPCs from the other side will say, well, no, that it's COVID deaths. It's like, no, COVID is listed there, too. It's like number seven on this list. So what are these excess? It literally says unknown or undetermined cause of death. Number one cause in Alberta, and I think New Brunswick had that result, too. So, like, what, what's causing this? And it's like, so... The fact that they can't talk about it or that they're not talking about it is one of those things that kind of, you know, it just accelerates people's distrust of them. So they're going to have to start doing things like, you know, limited hangouts where they like admit, okay, yeah, like there were some adverse reactions, but it's not about you. Yeah, yeah.
yeah they have to do that and you know it's it's telling whenever they don't do it and that they'll they'll take more criticism because of it great great examples of that recently are things like the project veritas dump right whether yeah. whatever you think of that right I, I know there's some people that don't trust project veritas they don't like the whatever they have questions about it right fine it doesn't matter the point is why did none of the legacy media touch it at all in fact some of the legacy media outlets that did cover it the daily mail msnbc they ran stories about it and then pulled them they retracted they, they just cut them too hot for tv isn't, isn't that something that doesn't that kind of pique your curiosity of why they're just not going to even address it at all it ha this video has 30 million views on twitter alone you're telling me that, that in itself is a positive because regardless, as you said, of the video, it's where people are at. More people are suspicious. They're wondering, they're questioning, they're realizing, hey, all the conspiracy theorists are being proven right on so many fronts. Like, uh, it's clear that they're missing something. They're lying to us about something. So they're seeing a video like that. And they're like, if that's even a fraction of truth behind that video admission, and that guy is who they said he was, which they did prove he is who that guy says he is, um, then... That means that we have at least enough to go, let's investigate further. My thing, one thing I'll say real quick, and we're going to have to wrap soon. Or we could talk forever, you and I, but um, is when Byron Bridal went with, um, their names are escaping me at the moment, some of the top doctors went with the convoy to say, Health Canada, Teresa Tam, come here and clear this up. You guys could have us go home right now if you would just sit down and have a scientific discourse with us who are scientific experts about your data because there's a problem with the data and we have counter data that we want to present. To me, this is science, right? It's yeah. like the government saying we have the best Kung Fu style in the world that can't be defeated by anybody and another challenger comes in and goes, hold on a second, I want you to prove it. And they're like, no, we don't want to prove it. You can't come in and prove us wrong. And they just didn't show even though Byron Bridal made the case, these guys are paid by you, the taxpayer. They owe you an explanation. And they, they just keep saying the science, the data, the data we have, but they're not showing it to you. And they need to show it in front of other experts, right? And they didn't want to do it. I was out right then. I'm like, yeah. this is a fucking scam top to bottom because nobody that's behind the truth would ever act that way. This is what got me so early on in this. I, like, I stopped even caring about what the data, like I don't care because in the first four, five, six months of this, I paid a lot of attention to the data. I looked at their numbers, I ran through it. And this is why I have, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the Dr. John Campbell there from the UK. He oh, yeah. was very supportive of all the health measures right until very recently and now got questions. And his thing was, what can I say? Like, I, I believe their data. and fine I'm, I'm glad you you're coming around to the right side okay I'm, I'm glad you understand that i still think you're a moron because i as a numpty you know normie dum dum you know has nothing to do with this was able to look at what they were presenting and go i don't believe you right. that's all all it took was a, a micro speck of, of skepticism to to start doubting what they were saying and you had none and that's a problem because you, you're presenting yourself as being a skeptic a scientist you know, uh, uh, you know, cynical, and you're not. You just believed what they said and then amplified their message. So I'm, I'm glad these. But you're right. Like they, they, you know, the data they show you is heavily manipulated, 
and it doesn't really stand up to even a, a, just a cursory bit of skepticism. And yeah, they, they won't do that. That was a great analogy, by the way, too, the, the Kung Fu style. And, you know, you have Hoyt uh, Gracie there coming in and saying, I could beat you. And they're like, nah. And he's like, yeah, I, I didn't think so. And right? they're like, arrest this man. He's threatening yeah. me now. And you're like, no, no, I came to challenge your stupidity and your lies. Yeah. Um, but anyways, man, like, we got to do this again. You, you got such great points, epic rants. Uh, the memes are great. Um, do you got anything planned coming up? Any big uh, things you're digging on? Any cool memes you're going to be releasing? Let people know what you got coming in the pipeline. Man. Well, me memes are very uh, current events based, right? So they, they just they come to me as the stuff changes. So I, I don't really plan those out. Um, I have abs now again because of the memes because I laugh so much. <laughs> like that is yeah, I have, I have a lot of fun with them. And they're powerful, right? Memes they are. are very powerful. It, I, I like to think of memes as a form of stoicism. They're a way of conveying a very valid, you know, heavy or, you know, uh, impactful point in, in a single image that, you know, you don't even need words sometimes. But, like, you know, the best memes are a one line. That, 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 that to me, that's just, you know, laconic talk or stoicism. Like, it, it's very, um, that, that, that's the whole point of it is to just, create something impactful that can be condensed into a single image. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, like I do streams with uh, Derek Grants every Sunday. I, I do some, whenever I have something that I want to just you know, explore, I'll, I'll do a quick uh, telegram stream and I, I record it and then throw it up on YouTube. But I, other than that, I'm hoping to get a better setup here so that we don't run into these kind of issues that I, we had early on in the stream. Right. So I, I, I got my, uh, Finally got a microphone. Just need to get it Ooh, set up. Nice. Get the blue. That's a good one. Stick to the USB mics, man. It's so much easier. Um, but well, if you need any help with that, you let me know because your voice is valuable. You're doing such good work, man. And anything I can do to help amplify your voice or, or, or work to get things out um, is great. And, and also, um, I want to put, I'll put the Veterans for Freedom links in as well uh, so people know about that. And any maybe final closing thoughts on this chat? Um, no, I mean, yeah, you, if you want to help amplify it, share those memes, guys. I love when my own memes get sent back to me, you know, I've had <laughs> things that I made and be like, look at this, isn't this funny? I'm like, yeah, I made that. So like, you know, that's, that's rewarding. So share the memes. And, uh, I mean, uh, if you want to know more about, uh, how we got here, check out, uh, you know, Jeremy's streams. Uh, raging dissident right and, uh, absolutely you know, i can't you know i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him he helped me a lot so you know, i do what i can to help him and you know the diagonal community is not what they, they say it is we have barbecues we have christmas parties we have you know get togethers we go to bars we whatever we share canning recipes things like that it's not what they say it is it's not an ethno state it's not yeah it's, it's all nonsense so you know, if you're not familiar with it, give it a try. They're some of the best people in the world, you know, join, join the day. Canadians who love their freedom and I love it. Um, I'd, I'd love maybe sometime to get you and Jeremy on together or something and promote his sure. dreams and, and talk to him. He's a, he, I remember some of the videos he did, there was this one in particular, right as the combo is kicking off where he's just walking outside at night and he's just like, can you smell it in the air or can yeah. you feel it or something? And he just goes yeah. on this. This and I, I to me that was like all right we're we're doing this like it, it was just awesome and uh, so and what he's had to suffer 
is just egregious, but it's an example that hopefully people can look at the truth of those things and realize that we're at this point and that we cannot allow the government to go to those next steps and do this to Canadian people who have not broken the law or done anything wrong in that regard. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to like everybody's humor or whatever. That's totally secondary. If it can happen to someone like Jeremy McKenzie, if it can happen to you getting arrested as you did at those protests or what happened to those people, it can happen to any of us. All of our bank accounts are up for grabs. Look what they're trying to do with these bills with censoring content under Canadian law. Um, we're going to need VPNs. We're not even going to have a voice, right? So we can't let this continue. So everybody who's able, do what you can. Um, Nonviolently, do not break the law. We're not advocating for anything like that. Um, we just want to do what we can to help uh, find solutions to this problem. And I think you're doing great work, man. So let's do it again sometime. I've put all your links below. Go follow them on Telegram, Twitter, YouTube, and everywhere else. And uh, we'll have to see you again soon, brother. That was awesome. Well done. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It's, it's good, good chat. Good, good to finally get on a stream with you. And uh, yeah, I like I said, I've been following your work for a while. So yeah, glad, glad to be able to have a chat with you. Oh, thanks. I'll have to come up to Alberta one of these days. I got so many friends up there. We'll have to have a beer. And uh, yeah, let's see how this rolls on. But thanks again, brother. Well done. Thanks to everybody for joining into the stream. I was so engaged in this chat. I may have missed some of the, soup, the rumble rants or the donations or whatever. Thank you guys so much. If you did do that, please go check out my new merch. Uh, you can go check out the docuseries, cultofthemedics.com. And again, I'll put all the links for Ferryman's Toll here. And we'll have to do this again. So thank you, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Cheers.